welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. Today, Bryce Simon is in the building. I pointed the wrong direction again on the video. If you're watching on YouTube, go subscribe to the YouTube channel, by the way. We get more and more viewers every single time we do one of these. It's fantastic. I appreciate everybody that's here. I appreciate the co- everyone that comes and joins us every time we record one of these. We're talking rookies today. We did a quarter season, something like that. A month of the season in rookie review, you know, right at the midway mark of November or something like that, if I remember correctly, Bryce. Yeah. We're about halfway through the season. There are teams that have played 39 games at this point. Uh, there, there are teams that have only played like 36, 35 even, if I remember correctly. But we're closing in on that halfway point and we have to do awards next week. Uh, we have to talk draft at some point. Like there, there's the number of things that we have to do still on this podcast. So I thought two rookies a little bit earlier, right before that midseason mark. So we're going to talk a lot about Chet Holmgren, Victor Wembanyama, Jaime Hawkes. Obviously, we're going to talk a little bit about Cam Whitmore because what he's doing is super, super fun for the Houston Rockets. Uh, and we'll talk about Brandon Miller and Scoot and all those other guys. We're, we're definitely going to spend, I would say, a big portion of the time on Chet, Victor, and Hawkes because they are the three guys that are genuine, it feels like, difference makers uh, within the NBA right now. Bryce, what's going on, buddy? What's up, Sam? Yeah, it, it was interesting as I was doing this, I'm looking at Hawkes's stuff and I'm like, I'm not sure there's an argument for anybody else, number three. Like, it's Chet and Wimby, yeah. and I think that's heated up a little bit more than the last time we did this. I'm interested to see where you stand on this, because I think we both were kind of overwhelmingly Chet the last conversation. And I feel like, for me, it's gotten closer, at least. Um, but then it was like, dang, I, I think I think Jaime really has third secured right now, number that number three spot. So, um, yeah, I, I'm excited to talk rookies. Uh, you know, maybe we'll talk some Pistons rookies here. We'll talk the Twins, some other guys, uh, maybe even an undrafted rookie and Craig Porter Jr., who's done really, you know, really well in Cleveland. And I got all my draft stuff ready to go whenever we get there. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting in the in the dark. I'm doing my work in the dark. I got my big board, my notes, so I'm gonna be ready whenever the time comes. But first, we're gonna talk about one thing here at the top. The NBA is going forward with its idea to do a two-night NBA draft. According to Adrian Wojnarowski, the NBA is finalizing plans to turn the 2024 NBA draft into a two-night event in Brooklyn, sources tell ESPN. The draft would be split into first and second round on successive nights, June 26th and 27th. Uh, I think this is silly, as I've said multiple times at this point. Uh, I don't think teams can act like they care about the second round uh they can pretend to think that like they really genuinely like think these picks matter but they just don't like a big for for teams that are involved in this like they like the picks they like being able to get talent and everything they just are not all that valuable and like the idea behind this according to Woj if I remember correctly it was like Let's see here. Uh, it, more trades and more time to value these picks or like they felt like it was too rushed. It, it wasn't that kind of the terminology. Yeah. Among the reasons for the expansion of the event programming of TV rights for the partners, 
Totally get that. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, the NBA and teams are hopeful that the hours between Wednesday night's first round and Thursday night's second round will give teams more time to make trades and plan out strategies for the second night. This is why when this original idea happened, right? My idea was to split it from the lottery, have the lottery in the first night, and then do 15 onward in the second night. That to me seems like a better strategy in order to facilitate trades. There will probably be trades that happen at like 31, 32, 33, 34, whatever. Like I do buy that, but I just like there are trades every year in the second round. Yeah. Teams are trying to move in, move out, everything like that. That's normal. I don't think necessarily that moving just the second round to the second night is going to facilitate more. And frankly, I don't know that fans care enough about the second round for this to be as big of a hit, like TV wise for the partners is what people think. And this comes from like you and I, we love the draft. Like yeah. my job is literally the NBA draft. I scout these guys. I write a freaking hundred thousand word draft guide every year. Like I love the draft. I just am very skeptical that people will care about this. So what I'm worried about a little bit is don't you think that second night is just going to turn into more, pu more pushing the first round picks? Like, I, I don't know that it's going to, are they, I guess I'm interested to see, do they keep the focus on the second round? Because to me, it's yeah. almost just, it's just time for the TV stations, whatever the broadcast to organize. Okay. How are we going to highlight Alex Sar? Can we get him in an interview? Can we get him more of a backstory? Those things. And then now the second round picks give even less of the attention than what they're yeah. getting anyway. Well, it's that. And I wonder, like, are you going to extend out the clock on these second round picks as well now? Because you want to make this a little bit more of an event. Do you make it like five minutes now instead of yeah. what I think is two minutes, if I remember correctly? Uh, maybe you do like seven minutes for the first round picks, five minutes for the second round picks, something like that. Like, I'm in favor of it. It sounds nice and fine and everything. Again, like I, I'm with you, like I worry, like, is it just going to be like, a, you know, hey, Alex Argo's number one, let's, you know, talk to Alex R for five minutes kind of thing. And then it's, you know, the, still the Nikola Jokic getting picked during the Taco Bell commercial like situation, right? I don't know. I'm not sitting here uh, like I'm intrigued to see how it goes. I just, I think that it could have been better if they had split the lottery off as opposed to the first and second round. Uh, and I'll be honest, I haven't talked to enough agents and teams to know their feeling on this. Like, I'm really interested to get the feedback of, yeah, we don't need this, or we already have this. We already have, I would assume that they already have plans A, B, C, and D planned out. So if this guy gets picked and then they're left with this guy on the board, they, they've already figured out a lot of those things. Maybe not. Maybe it's more chaotic than what I'm giving it credit for. I just feel like a lot of those second round picks, you've pinpointed how many oh, other guys. The, the you, second round? The, yeah. the second round is like fucking chaos in NBA front office. So do you, so do you, do you think they will appreciate this then in terms of, okay, we got through the first round. Some of the surprises are gone. If we increase the time from two to five minutes, maybe they would feel a little bit better about those selections, a little more confident, a, a little more resolute. Yes, I think they will feel okay. 
better about it to like be able to regroup, just get things back together, uh, relax. But like, again, I think they would feel better about it if the clock was extended even to four minutes or something like that. As but still to just, two minutes. Just, it's more about the time. Minutes. It doesn't necessarily need to be the next day. Like I even wonder from an agent's perspective, like, okay, this team took so-and-so in the first round. Now, where does my guy fit with teams in the second well, round? Can I get on the phone with those guys now? For sure. And what'll happen now is instead of teams furiously calling like undrafted free agents before the draft ends, right? Saying like, Hey, if your guy goes unpicked, we're here. We love your guy. We'd love to sign him to a two way exhibit 10, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. That'll happen the night before now, I think where it'll be like, Hey, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of rant. Hey, Cam Spencer, like somebody like I like Cam Spencer a decent yeah, yeah. amount. He I really think you should like, yeah. you know, be a you know two way exhibit ten somebody like that, right? He's a G League uh, player hey, for sure. Yeah, hey Cam Spencer, like we'd love to have you. We're calling you because like we think you know. It, let us know. Uh, let us know if Cam goes undrafted to the agent, everything like that, and you know we'll get that done. So I think you're going to see like a absolute like waterfall of undrafted guys get signed like in the minutes after the draft like you know how like it used to be with free agents where uh at 1201 uh p.m or 1201 a.m they would sign like the contract details are worked out and they have the player options and all of that was negotiated in 60 seconds sam exactly right seven seven seconds that's all you needed to nail down a deal right nail down terms uh I think it'll be like that at the end of the draft where like you get like 30 guys that are like done immediately. Here's what I would say as a draft sicko. I, w- I want to increase the time in the second round because I want these second round picks to get highlighted. I, I would like to see those guys yeah. get talked about. And at the end of the day, the, I don't say casual fan and with a negative connotation, like it gets sometimes the casual NBA fan is only watching the first round anyway, or their team's first round pick, or to your point, as the chat likes, maybe even just the lottery, but real NBA and NBA draft fans that are really into this stuff. I think they want to see some of these second round picks highlighted and talked about. Uh, I'm with that. I'm definitely a hundred percent for that. Could not be more for that. Do the partners have the people that can do that? Is a, It's a real question, right? Like, because Mike is gone now. Like, Mike Schmitz works for Portland now. Uh, are you going to put Gavoni on the desk? Like, John is smart. Like, I, I think John is totally capable of doing that. Like, do you put Jeremy Wu on the desk? Like, Jeremy is smart. Jeremy can, like, do things. Like, Jeremy can break down prospects, right? Like, things like that for ESPN. Like, how do you handle it? Because, like, I feel like when we start getting into the internationals, the mid second round names, the NBA guys that they tend to have on the desk, it's not as uh, descriptive. Let's go with, or uh, of what these guys are as players. And look, want- those guys are busy. Like I, I'm not like shitting on them. Like yeah, I'm yeah. saying though, that like they, they are asked to do draft and it is, an additional thing that is hard to just like parachute into after doing NBA all year. So uh, I wonder what the NFL does. I know it changes from round to round, like each day, I think it changes some of the people that are on there. Maybe not like, so I, 
maybe the first round through the lottery, you get these guys that are going to be able to talk about Stefan Castle and Jacoby Walter and yeah. even the G League Ignite guys and all of that. And then from there, you bring on real NBA draft people, you know, that can really get into the weeds on these second round prospects that can talk about I love it. those guys. I, I think I think that would work. I, I like this a lot more because you're I don't want it just to be a pick. They say the name and they give the generic, this guy can shoot the ball a little bit, right? Like if Peyton Sanford got drafted in the second round, how much are most of those guys going to be able to talk about? Where I think some people that really get into it could really break down his game in terms of, okay, this is the type of three-point shooter he is. This is the context of Iowa. This is what he is defensively. This is what he is on the boards. This is how he's improved. Those type of things. I think that the big thing for me is like, look, I, I want to give ESPN a chance to like do this well and everything like that. I, I just hope that um, the production folks at ESPN understand like that they need to bring in yes people that can do this. And, and look, like I, I, you know, I'm here in Australia. I'm not suggesting myself by any stretch of the imagination. Don't really want to do it. Uh, we'll be right here breaking it down. It's more of a, this is more my vibe. I would rather be here off the, uh, off the, you know, set or anything, but I think it would make a lot of sense to make sure that you have very smart people that can actually do this consistently. Well, and what you do Uh, is even if you had to have a few and you called them in when a player is drafted and say, okay, you have these 15 guys. If one of your guys goes in the second round, you're coming in. You know, I I don't know how that would work via video and stuff. Like, I don't know broadcast stuff enough, but you know what I mean? Like you have five guys on call. Each has 15 guys. If their guy gets picked, they're coming up and they're going to be able to talk through them for at least a few minutes. Right. And then everybody else can take over in terms of, okay, this is what this kid does. This is how he fits with the team. If they're a little more NBA centric, they can take that breakdown and talk about how it fits the team. Yeah. Uh, I'm fascinated to see what ESPN does with this because it could go well. A YouTube user asks, (laughs) did the outline say, uh, talk about two day draft for 15 minutes or are we getting a long episode? Uh, look, this is probably going to be like an hour and a half episode. It, it wasn't on the outline. Listen, the first two words on the outline are Chet Holmgren, Chet Holmgren. bold yeah. underline in the middle, 15 point. Uh, this conversation was not on the outline. No. And the outline I, is still like fair, 13 pages. To be fair. I texted this to Bryce ahead of time. You we knew we were going to talk about it. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, never blindsided by it. anything we bring up. It's just, uh, <laughs> listen. We know we, we uh, it's an understanding. We've done it long enough now, even though it hasn't been that long. We know how it's going to go. Yeah. It's all good. We know what's going to happen here. Okay. Let's, uh, <laughs> Wyatt Darby <laughs> says, give me two days of letting Kendrick Perkins cook about players. He's never heard of <laughs> honestly gr- would watch <laughs> like absolutely would watch. <laughs> it would be amazing. It, it's, it's my biggest fear. So this is why it's the outlines fear. are so long is because I I am terrified for you to ask me something that I'm not prepared to talk about. And quite honestly, I feel like I work too hard not to have it ready. I have notes upon notes upon notes, but I've watched so much. Sometimes I need a quick reminder before I talk about it. So it's my biggest fear. I don't know how people do it. I don't know how they go up there and BS it because I would start sweating and freaking out and heart palpitations and all of that. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, All right. Let's, uh, 
<laughs> let per, hashtag let per cook. That's where we're at. I'm here for it. Let per cook on draft night. It'd be great. Uh, okay. Just do it like Barkley does. Like we, we don't pretend that Charles Barkley like knows these guys at the end of rosters. There's a whole segment on TNT called who he play for. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Charles Barkley is by far the best person on TV doing basketball coverage. He's, He's incredible. We need to lean more into that. Like that's that's what we can do here. I, gonna, I think it was not gonna, uh I'm not gonna was, get the guys to like know stuff, lean more into that side of it. I think it was Will Bond who they showed a highlight of the Pistons, and I think he said something about good young players. He named Cade Cunningham, and then he just stopped. It was like that was yeah. that was it. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe Will Bond's smarter than me, because I may be the only player he needed to name and know. So <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's do this. Let's talk about rookies. We want to start with Victor Wembanyama. This isn't to say that like we think Vic is the rookie of the year. Maybe we'll start here. You mentioned to start the show that you think that it's closing. The gap is closing between Victor and Chet. I honestly like kind of don't think it is. Okay, I still think it's Chet like in a pretty clear, solid like landslide i think victor has been much more effective for reasons we'll talk about here in a minute but i think chet continues to get better as the season goes as well chet's last 16 games you know averaged 19.3 points 6.8 rebounds 2.8 assists 2.8 blocks shooting 59.7 43.5 73.1 victor's last 16 games uh i believe it's 19.7, 10.9, 3.9, but on 47, 32, 77 shooting splits. Uh, and Victor's been amazing. And, you know, for that, we're going to talk about this more and more. But I think what Chet's doing, like contributing, is the second best player on like the second best team in the West or whatever. Like it's just so clearly Chet to me. Yeah, I think what's going to hold Vic back is the efficiency, which you just outlined. And then at the end of the day, Chet is contributing to extremely high-level winning basketball for a team who is going to finish top three in the West, maybe first in the West. Like, who knows what what these guys are going to do? So I, I guess I, I wasn't I – I think I would still have Chet. I guess I just felt like when we talked last, I was very 100% it's Chet – I feel like Wimby at least closed the gap. I, I and and for you, I understand anybody who says it's still not a conversation. Yeah. I just think Wimby's still really good. I also just wonder in general what the narratives are going to be. Like I wonder. I'm really intrigued to see what this final vote ends up being, based on at, at the end of the year. Like just based on the winning, the efficiency, but. I, all the numbers I'll give in this episode, Sam, are going to be from December 1st till now. I just wanted to kind of see, especially because of the some guys we're going to talk about, yeah. Wimby's first in points, field goal attempts, free throw attempts, rebounds by over three a game, blocks per game. He's third in three-point attempts. He's been really good and only six in minutes per game. That triple-double against the Pistons, I realize it's the Pistons, I get it, but was done in like the second fewest minutes of a triple-double since the 50s yeah. or something like that. So he's putting up really good numbers on not like – like Jaime, I think, is leading rookies in minutes since December 1st. So not, not yeah. first in minutes. He does get a ton of usage. And then he's also really good defensively, which I know you want to dive into. Yeah, and that's where I want to start. I want to kind of talk about Vic uh, to begin this episode because the reason I used the last 16 games for Vic and Chet is because 16 games ago is when 
the San Antonio Spurs removed Zach Collins from the starting lineup and started using Victor Wembanyama as the starting center on their team. Uh, Collins has started, I think, three of those games, like in that 16-game mix. He's missed like the last five or so uh, uh, due to an injury. But in those last 16 games, I think Vic has been remarkable defensively. He has over 50% of his overall minutes are now at playing the center position point blank, like throughout the course of the season entirely. Uh, The Spurs have a 118.5 defensive rating in total uh, over the course of those 16 games. And that's not terribly different from what it is over the course of the full season. In Vic's minutes, particularly with him playing center, they have a 112.6 defensive rating, which is like pretty like normal and solid and good. And like, if you were looking at that league wide, 112.6 would actually be the seventh best defensive rating league wide right now. Victor has been really, really uh, excellent on defense. And the easiest way to explain it is just he's around the rim more. Like he is able to be around the basket more often, which allows him to be more effective as a rim protector. Early in the season, it felt like, I don't want to say he was chasing necessarily, but it just felt like he was a little bit more often out on the perimeter uh, and away from the action because teams would find ways to kind of go away from him consistently. Now, with the way that the Spurs are operating with him at the center position, he's involved in a decent amount of primary actions as the screen defender, and he is oftentimes the consistent uh, primary weak side rim protector around the rim when those situations come up. So I think Victor has been fantastic, fantastic, fantastic on defense to this point. Uh, if you look at EPM, uh, you know, which in my opinion is the best all in one ranking number that you will find publicly available. He is a plus 3.2 defensively right now, which is just like a totally bonkers number for a rookie. Chet, I think, is even a little bit lower than that now. I think Chet's at like plus 2.5. Victor is like completely breaking worlds defensively. It's just that the team around him is like not good defensively at all. Yeah, I mean, I think the way he alters the trajectory of shots, you can just tell that guys shoot the ball differently when he's around. And I don't even know that he, I think he still could be more active with his length and a little better positionally and those type of things if I wanted to nitpick. But just from their most recent game, Jalen Duren has this this patented reverse pivot into a layup that he scores on most of the time to his right hand and he misses just because Wimby is there to contest it. The first possession he went out in both halves the Pistons immediately got layups at the rim. And it's just because, like, I like Don Barlow. I think he's done some intriguing things, but he's not Victor Wimbanyama at the win. Like, people turn down shots because he's there. And then one thing I made, like, his size and coverage in ball screens, it just has to keep his team out of rotations as much as somebody else. Just the passes he can take away, the ground he can cover, the low man. Like, I just imagine that that guy doesn't feel like he has to come as far. It gives his other teammate a little bit longer to get around and navigate the ball screen. He just helps everybody else on the floor. So you're talking about, you know, maybe his teammates aren't great defensively. Well, they'd probably look even worse if it wasn't Victor behind them, slowing things down, contesting things, discouraging things, and making up for some of their mistakes. 
Yeah, it's crazy. Just like the amount of ground, like we talk on the show about ground coverage all yeah. the time, right? Ground coverage, big piece of modern NBA defense and being able to stop opposing teams because of the way that spacing is proliferated and shooting is proliferated. There's just more ground on an NBA court to cover defensively than ever before. Victor is like the antidote to that because of how big, how long he is. And that's, I think why San Antonio early in the season, in addition to wanting to reduce the wear and tear on his body, probably thought, Hey, you know, we can have him be like the weak side roamer defensively and just like wreck worlds, kind of like how Jaron Jackson does defensively for the Memphis Grizzlies. But in reality, I think Victor is so big and so long and has such good timing and is so fluid, like as a mover that you just want him in the middle of the action constantly. Like you don't want him away from the action. You want him able to contest the primary action. Every single well, and the thing is, he just looks more comfortable. So again, like I, I understand kind of what Pop and the Spurs were thinking, but at the end of the day, and, and I don't know this, I don't have any intel, he looked uncomfortable playing as that roamer, not knowing, okay, how close do I need to be in the corner? How much can I help off? Having to close out and recover, those type of things. And that's just natural for players. Some guys are more comfortable in situations offensively and defensively. To me, he looks much more comfortable in this role of just defending the primary action, usually a ball screen. And you're right with his recovery ability. There was a game he doubled on the left mid post and then pass out one more pass, he recovers all the way to the right corner and gets a block because not only does he have the length, but he is able to move. He's able to flip his hips, cover ground, run, all of those things added together allows him to cover like almost corner to corner. Yeah. It's just really hard to avoid him. It's kind of the yes. thing now. Like it's harder to avoid him in the action, which is the critical piece of it for the San Antonio Spurs here on defense. Uh, yeah, I love everything I've seen from Vic on defense. Offensively, what has been kind of your impression of where Vic has succeeded, struggled, uh, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, obviously the efficiency still has to come, right? Like he's taking a lot of threes. There was one game I watched where I think the first five or six were catch and shoot threes. And I'm like, man, I'd like to see him get a little bit more inside the three-point line. He's 29% from the three-point line right now on five attempts. I I just would – let me ask you this. Coming in, I thought the mid-post isolation, 15, 17 feet catch, square up – I thought that's where I wanted to see the ball go to him when you're like, when they want to force the ball to him, when they're saying like Wimby is getting a touch on this possession. Again, it was the Pistons game. I get it. He's playing against Dern, who's not that good defensively. He had two or three and he did different things. He faced up, went middle one time, played through contact and finish. The next time he faced up, went baseline with his left hand. I think he ended up getting fouled. I think he can face up and shoot. He could, you know, a, a step back and shoot over if he needed. I kind of like them getting him the ball there. The other thing, especially from that game that I think people took notice of, Vic can pass, man. Like he, he has good yeah. passing instincts. Sometimes it gets a little carried away. Sometimes there's some turnovers, but he sees things and has good feel. And we talked about this months ago. He's just at a level, literally like physically at a level where he can see angles and and get to angles that other people just literally cannot. That's absolutely right. I think that's a huge piece of the passing in terms of the offense in general. 
I agree with you. I would love to see him in those like mid post areas, 15, 17 feet, something like that. I think it's just kind of hard for him to get there now. Like the biggest thing that does stand out is the lack of lower body strength. Every 100%. time I watch him, yes. uh, he just gets moved by guys yes. and that's okay. Like he is still 19 years old. He's still so young. The lower body strength will improve as he continues to grow and mature and age. It's just going to take a minute. I think like it truly, it's just going to take him a minute to figure everything out on that side of the court. Once that happens, I, I think that it's going to be exceptionally hard to stop him from getting to that area. I remember, I think it was LaMarcus Aldridge who was on, I think it might've been all the smoke. Uh, I think it was all the smoke. And they asked him about Victor because, you know, he's a former San Antonio Spurs. Great. Everything like that. And what Aldridge said, you know, which shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody that's ever seen LaMarcus Aldridge play basketball before was he just needs to develop like one move and then, find a counter off of that one move, right? Like as soon as you find the counter off of that one move, you're unstoppable. So in LaMarcus's case, it was, you know, the mid post fadeaway. He could hit that mid post fadeaway with a high release point. Anytime he wanted Victor can do that. Victor has the similar high release point, has the fluidity to get to that shot whenever he wants. I totally agree. I just think he doesn't have the strength to establish himself in that position. Uh, I pulled a clip while we were talking. This is actually like my favorite clip that I've seen from the Spurs and from Vic over the course of the last little while came from the Cavs game. They played, I think it was last week, maybe early this week. Um, It just kind of shows everything that we're talking about here in terms of the defense, right? Like here, you know, just look at this. Like he's immediately cutting off this drive. Like it's nothing, right? He's on Jared Allen. And Jared Allen is a non-shooter. Anytime a team employs a non-shooter where he can just stick in the paint, uh, the help is there. And it's just like, well, okay, that's cut off. Going to have to kick well, out and now. And Struess doesn't, not only does he not look to shoot it, Sam, he doesn't even look to throw the lob to Jared Allen in the dunker spot because yeah. Wimby can get to that as well. That's right. That's a huge piece of it as well. Uh, and then the second drive here, you're going to see, Heavy closeout from Vassell because, you know, NBA closeouts, a lot of them are going to be flybys because of how good shooters are. And again, another example of great help. I think that this is actually like a look at the lob this time, right? Like, I think he actually took a, took a second, saw if the lob was there and realized, hey, we've got the help man here. And then we've got Vic over the top. So, like, I have to throw this incredibly high. It's probably not going to work that way. And then you just have to totally reset the offense. There's six seconds left on the shot clock. You're taking a contested three. Vic's getting the rebound. We're going down the other way. And now you're just driving. Vic's trailing here. And now this is a great example of what you're talking about. This is exactly where you were saying that you want Vic to get the ball. Yes. Yes. In this area here, right? And I mean, they're just going to empty it out. And this is what we're talking about. This is an unstoppable shot for Vic. If he can just knock this down consistently, he takes like a little turnaround 14 footer, let's call it against Jared Allen makes it. And now again, because he's playing center on this possession, he's in the primary action. Jared Allen is here. They're going to run, you know, a little, it's almost like a veer screen kind of thing for Struess to come through and do a double drag. It's actually going to be a handoff, I guess here where they're going to try and throw the, uh, throw the entry pass into Allen at the top of the key to run like a double drag handoff kind of thing. And Vic is just like, Nope, that's not going to happen either. <laughs> not gonna happen. We're going to go, we're going to finish right at the rim and just, 
it's absurd. Like the guy is completely absurd. Uh, and look, Jared Allen played really well in this game. I want to be clear. Like he was not a problem. It's just that these are the kind of things that Victor Wembanyama can do that change the trajectory of basketball in a real way. And I think that this clip particularly is kind of the ideal everything for Vic, you know, help defense in the primary action on the defensive end, knocking down exactly what Bryce was just talking about in terms of that, like mid range, 14 footer, and then getting a steal, getting out in transition, starting early offense. It kind of combined every single thing that we've talked about so far. And I thought it was just like the perfect little thing to talk about here. Because earlier in the season, and I don't, I didn't pay attention to the personnel exactly, but like they put it, put him like on a Coro or something like, Hey, you go guard a Coro yeah. who usually hangs out in the corner. And then on the first drive by Struess, he would have been helping the helper and Struess probably would have attacked Zach Collins or Don Barlow or thrown the lob to Jarrett Allen. And then he would have been having to close out to a Coro if Struess did pass it out. And then he would have been standing in the corner when that pass and follow at the top of the key, the final clip was happening instead of jumping that passing lane with the insane wingspan and all of that. So to your point, it just puts him more in the action. What are you going to do? You gonna put Jarrett Allen in the corner. Well, yeah, now we can be an off ball roamer, but he doesn't have to worry about closing out or doing anything. So the other teams will have to figure out what are we going to do with the guy he's guarding to keep him out of the action? I think they're gonna have to get creative with it. I think that's right. Okay. Uh, Bryce, let's move on and talk about Chet now. Okay. Uh, Chet just continues to do every single thing. Well, on a basketball court, that's the reality of the situation with Chet Holmgren. He is so solid and steady and consistent. In addition to just being absolutely threatening and menacing and relentless on the court. Every single time you see him mentioned the last 16 games of chat. I'll mention them again here. 19.3 points, 6.8 rebounds, 2.8 assists, 2.8 blocks, 59.7% from the field, 43.5% from three, just an absurd, absurd player that has completely changed the trajectory in a lot of ways of the Oklahoma city. In addition to Shea Gilgis, Alexander's leap, Jalen Williams leap, by the way, over the last like, you know, six, seven games or whatever. He has been awesome, awesome, awesome in that stretch. Uh, this Thunder team is, again, I, we've talked about it all year. They're my favorite team to watch in the league. I, I find myself watching just probably 75% of their games because they're so good. Yeah, when I go through the schedule, usually like the next morning, I'll look through the results and try to pick out close games or games where everybody was healthy and played. And I just find excuses to watch Thunder game. I'm like, oh, I, know. I don't know if I've watched that other team in a while. I better watch that one because, you know, it's, it's fun to watch the Thunder. I have a question and then a follow-up question. Did you think that Chet's offensive game was this good? I thought it was this good in a complimentary sense, okay. which is kind of the role he's playing. Like he's not taking a crazy number of shots. Uh, like I bought him as a 40% three point shooter. Okay. Uh, I bought him as a guy who could make quick passing reads and like make decisions. Right. Uh, what I didn't buy probably were some of the, like he throws up like mid post fadeaways from time to time. Um, some of the shot creation stuff that he's seen that he showcased, I probably did not buy immediately coming into the league, but I did think he would be a can grab and go on the break, can create transition that way, can pass out of the break, um, 
can knock down shots as a trailer three-point shooter, spot-up three-point shooter, like kind of that stuff. I thought he'd be pretty effective at that early on, yeah. Did you think it would happen? So you thought it would happen this quick. Like you're not surprised that he's doing this this soon. I'm surprised that the shot creation has translated as well as it has early. Not to say he's some like primary shot creator for Oklahoma City. He's not. I I didn't think that like much of the ball handling stuff like in half court situations would translate as well as it has. But, and this is the other thing comparing Chet's situation to Vic's situation, Oklahoma City has built their entire scheme, their entire situation around having driving lanes and having space and having like uh, the ability to operate within those driving lanes. San Antonio, like often they do not have like great driving lanes, right? Not to say that Vic is as tight of a ball handler as Chet is, I think, but I did not expect Chet to be able to find those driving lanes without turning the ball over all that easily. Uh, But because Oklahoma city is so well-spaced and because he's a little bit ahead of where I thought he was in that regard, he has been effective uh, for instance, as Brian says in the comments here, getting to the spin move, like that spin move is really hard to stop for mm-hmm. Chet every time he wants to get to it. Yeah, it is. I, I did put in my notes recently. I'm interested to see if teams start playing him to that. I feel like I was watching a game recently and like you could see the off ball defender maybe had read the scouting report, watched some film and played him to it, which like you said, find your primary move. And then when teams start to take it away, then find the counter to that. But it's absolutely really good. The efficiency numbers just everywhere you look. And so I looked at field goal percentage by distance, zero to three feet, 76%. Three to 10 feet, 63%. 10 to 16 feet, 48%. The only place he's not really that good at 16 feet to the three-point line, under 30%. And then over 40% from three. Like it's just, it's incredible. And then we just talked about Wimby's defense. I think... Every time we talk about Chet, I bring this up. And the more I watch other players, it stands out even more and more. And I know, I'm sorry I always reference Pistons people, but like I watch James Wiseman play with verticality and get folded in half all the time when he gets the contact because he just doesn't have that core strength or whatever it is to hold up. Chet, as slight as he is, Sam, it's amazing how he has practical strength on a basketball floor practical strength where when he plays with verticality he does not get bent at the waist he takes that contact he holds it solid people try to challenge him all the time and they're learning over and over and over that's not always a really good decision no you like you can and like look i have a clip from later uh where or for later where we see him challenge where it doesn't go super well for chet but he is so relentless and so like his motor runs. He does not give a fuck if he gets dunked on. I love it. Does not care. Like he is going to come back the next play and just say, Nope, I'm good. I'm going to come back for more. Like there's no reason to do. There's no reason for me to be concerned about this in any way, shape or form. I'm going to go for it. Like he, and plus like the things that, I really liked about Chet coming in were the defensive anticipation, the positioning, uh, just the incredible wherewithal to be in the right spot at the right time. And also to make like these crazy scramble rotations. Right. I feel like he's even like a little bit 
less ahead of where he, where I thought he was there so far. And that's going to come like he, he is going to bring that at some point. He is genuinely, I think he was the best teenager I've ever evaluated in terms of like scramble rotations, uh, anticipatory rotations, like coming down from the free throw line to like protect the rim from the weak side, like things like that. Like, I feel like that's the place where he's even like a very small level behind and he's not quite there yet. Yeah. I think the attitude and the mentality is one of those things that I don't think we can talk about enough. And I heard it in in the draft process. It's come to fruition. You can see it on the floor, his confidence at the end of the games, he's hit big shots and it's real. Like some players, you talk about him not caring about getting dunked on. You know, I, I've talked to players before, you know, where you watch film with them and like they miss a dunk. Maybe they get hung or something. And you can tell that it demoralized them. They were kind of embarrassed. And understandably so. It's If anybody's ever missed a dunk in the game, it's, it's somewhat embarrassing. Or you get dunked on or whatever. Yeah. And I try to remind those guys, no, 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 no. It's a mentality thing. This is a mentality thing. You should have tried to dunk that. The mentality was right. And you don't think for a second that it was the wrong decision or be embarrassed or whatever. You go back the next game or the next try or whatever, and you put it on somebody's head. Your mentality cannot change for a second. And I feel like that's true with Chet. I feel like he has it. And, And quite honestly, the more I'm around players, get a chance to talk to him a little bit here and there, you realize even more so how important that is, especially like I tell people all the time, I'd rather have an arrogant NBA player than one that lack confidence because that is a tough league with a lot of really confident players. So I'm glad you brought up the confidence thing. Cause like the clip I wanted to show of chat uh, just kind of showcases that like the, it, there's a confidence in terms of fearlessness and like willingness to just like go, go to it every single time. Like knowing that I'm just going to be fine. Like I'm competitive. I'm going to be good. Like whatever. Right. Uh, there's also like a, there's a confidence that comes with being just willing to trash it sure. on the basketball court. Right. So like, this is kind of the prime example I wanted to grab. Like he's going to up and under Zubots, throw it off the glass to himself and finish. <laughs> and then he's going to flex on Zubots. Like <laughs> it's what he does. Like it's the pure unbridled confidence of Chad Holmgren. Like he's going to pick this ball up thinking that he's going to have like a mid range jumper and instead reacts to the like up fake getting Zubots in the air and just like, Nope, I'm just going to throw this shit off the glass and I'm going to go get it. Like, remember, remember when we thought this shit was cool when people did it in all-star games, Sam, and now we're getting it every single, hold on, built like Bryce. You, you never even seen my upper body. You guys have no idea. <laughs> Sorry. I got distracted by the comments over here, but we used to think throwing it off the backboard was cool in the all-star game. Now, like literally once a week, somebody's doing it. Vic did it the I other know. night as well. It's, I love this game. I, I love that our, the game has progressed where it's okay to do things like this. You know, like I've talked about it before, the way we do matchups. My son tonight was asking me, he goes, dad, in general, do taller players shoot less threes than smaller players? And I said, that used to be true, buddy, but it's starting to change. He goes, well, I still think it's that way. And I said, it is that way, but it's truly changing. The game has changed with, we don't put dudes in boxes anymore. We don't, boys or girls at any level, we don't put them in boxes anymore. It's been so good for the game. It's a hundred percent. Right. I mean, just, it's awesome. Like stop putting 
these guys in creativity boxes, right? Yes. Like, look at the elbows. Like the elbows are like pointing out. They're so bony, right? Like, like look at look at his elbows. He's there. rocking the baby while he's flexing at the same time. Like he's grown the beard out. Like it, it's beautiful. All the guys on the team love it. Like look at Jalen Williams there. Oh man, it's just it's the best. Like it truly is the best seeing guys like Chad Holmgren come into the league and just have no fear. No fear at all. And I think that that is above anything else, the theme of what this episode is about. Kind of the rookies that have come in and been fearless and been willing to be creative and take chances and be confident. They're the ones that have had success this year. And the next guy that we want to talk about is Jaime Hawkes. And a Hawkes is the primary example of this, right? Like, This is a dude that has no fear on the court whatsoever. He knows exactly what he's doing every single time. He plays with pure aggression, pure everything in terms of just getting up and down the court, attacking the rim, all of it. Like this dude has been so ready to go from day one uh, in the NBA that it's phenomenal. I've loved watching him. I want to bring up a couple other things from like the pre-draft versus Hawkes now that I think are worth noting. But Hawkes' last 24 games. Uh, he's averaging 16 and a half points, four rebounds, three assists, shooting 51.6% from the field, 38.2% from three, 83.3% from the line, uh, has entered the starting lineup over the course of the last 10 games there. Uh, look, the shooting has been a little bit worse. He's shooting 29% from three since he entered the starting lineup. That was always like kind of the big question with Hawkes. I always thought that like he would make open ones, like consistently make open ones at like a 35% clip or so. And that's look, end of the day, that's what he's shooting from three right now. He's shooting 35%. But at UCLA, it was hit or miss because he ended up having to take a lot of tough ones for sure. That's why the percentages were lower than what his actual shooting ability is, in my opinion. But also, and this is a big thing for Hawkes too he dealt with a lot of ankle injuries at UCLA that I think sapped the percentages a little bit. And additionally, I think probably hindered him a little bit from being able to like access his athleticism when trying to improve in the off season, even like he finally got like a clear off season where there was nothing wrong, anything like that. I think he looks bouncier and like quicker and more athletic than the guy that we saw at UCLA. And I would bet you that a big piece of that is he finally got like a clear off season where he was ready to go and was able to like really get after it and really improve because like he looks quicker. He looks more like the decisiveness was always there, but like the decisiveness stands out more because of how quick he is and how he's able to just make decisions and go. Yeah, there's a lot more explosiveness, athleticism, however you want to say it, in his game than I think what people gave him credit for, especially during the NBA draft process. Since December 1st, rookies, first in minutes, this kid, this guy, I don't know why I was going to say kid, is playing almost 35 minutes a game. He's third in points. That's first in minutes for rookies. Fifth in field goal attempts, second in free throw attempts. That was something that really stood out to me when you talk about 
confidence, aggressiveness, those type of things. Getting to the free throw line is something that really stands out to me. If you're a rookie that is confident to go into the lane, draw contact, keep going because you're probably not going to get every call, right? You're a rookie in the NBA. You're not getting the best whistle. So you're going to go in there, take contact, not get the call, and then come back the next possession. Hawkes strikes me as a guy that he's not going to let one time going there and failing or not getting the call deter him from going again. Plus he has all the moves. He's so creative, fundamentally sound. You know, we know the mid post game and, and I've talked about this before with him. It's amazing to me that my, like, Shout out Spolstra, man, as a coach. He pinpoints what this kid does well, what this guy does well, and runs isolations through him in the mid post. They run their (laughs) offense through Jaime Jaquez after timeouts, all of those things. But the thing is, he can also play off the ball. He'll make a good cut along the baseline. It's just a very well-rounded game. And if the shot's falling, I mean, forget about it. He can do about anything you want and play multiple roles on the offensive end. Yeah, he is a really, really impressive dude because of it's all footwork is what it comes down to, right? Yes. The ability to consistently break down defenders with your feet, with your polish as a ball handler. I think his polish as a ball handler has gone way underrated this year. Like he is, he has shake. Like that's a thing that probably went a little bit underrated about him uh, throughout the pre-draft process. And again, like you're talking to a person who, has been talking about Jaime Hawkes for freaking three or four years now. Like I love the guy and I've loved the guy like since his second year at UCLA, but like people looked at him and saw like this six foot seven guy with a six foot nine wingspan who like, you know, is this big bruising forward. Cause like UCLA would post him up occasionally, but in his senior year at UCLA, like there was real like shoulder shake. Like there was real ability to like, separate from his man and be able to find different ways into moves and things like that. Like he had actual uh, ability that I think went like way, way underrated and undervalued. Yeah. I mean, he, somebody said in the chat, Hawkes is a hooper. Like he just, we've talked about this on previous, I think whenever we did the, uh, the first mock that we did, we found ourselves saying, and you kind of started is, I think this guy can just play basketball. And, and I kind of fell into that as well in terms of sometimes the argument is this, this guy can just play ball. He plays ball the right way. He, you can tell he moves to the right spots. He has a good feel. He has a good awareness, a good understanding. I, I, Hawkes is one. It would be interesting if he ended up somewhere else, right? Like I think he would succeed. Do you think he'd be succeeding at this level where he's, I think undoubtedly the third best rookie here at the 1st of January because everybody mocked him to Miami. Everybody thought he was a great fit for Miami. He's a a heat culture guy, all of those things. Are there some context that you'd be like, nah, I don't know if it'd be going as well. People mocked him to Miami because there was good intel that Miami liked him, to be clear. like. it's not an accident that like we all felt good that he was going to yeah, Miami. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, like if for some reason that that was wrong and it's come out publicly and I've said, I said this on draft night, I think as well, I think he was going 18 to golden state as well. So if he didn't go 17, he was going 18, which is why like I felt phenomenal about like where he was going to end up. Uh, I think he'd look great in any offense that, allows guys like this to play with freedom and creativity. Like 
we're going to talk about pods next, right? I think pods is next on our list. Um, no, Lively's next. So we're going to talk about pods momentarily. But pods is like a perfect fit within what Golden State wants to run because they let him play with freedom, with creativity. He's naturally just really smart about the way he operates. I think Hawkes would look great there. I think pods would look great in Miami. Like I think that there are a number of situations. Like someone brings up Oklahoma City. Yeah, I think sure. Oklahoma City, he'd look great there. I think if you put Hawkes in like Atlanta, for instance, where everything is built around like Trey Young, Trey Young you ball know, screen stuff, yep, in the half court and things like that, I think he'd look a little bit worse. Uh, I think that he would not get as much freedom to do what makes him impressive, especially next to somebody like Jalen Johnson, because like it might be a little bit difficult to play both of those guys together and get the most out of them. I think they would look really good, but like I think that their skill sets as drivers in some ways overlap a little bit as like kind of combo-y forwards. Uh, I think if you put them in Orlando where the spacing is just worse and it might be a little bit harder for him to find those like kind of opportunities to be able to get into those creases and cracks using the footwork and like the shoulder shakes and things like that, that he's capable of. I don't know, uh, but like, it doesn't matter. He's in Miami. Who cares? Like that's that's the reality. Like he's in Miami. So yeah, I, w- I, w- I was just curious because like the the next guy we're about to talk about as well. I feel like he has ended up in a situation that's been really good for him. So I I always just I'm just curious like where how would they fit somewhere else? How would they look in a different context? Before we move on, because I don't have a lot of notes about his defense. Which usually when that's the case, it means he hasn't stood out in a great way, but he hasn't necessarily stood out in a bad way either. Do you have any overwhelming thoughts on his defense in like just in general? I think he's been like a little bit heavy footed, if I'm being honest, but he's so smart and like works his balls off and like he's flying around the court uh, that it it's fine within their scheme. Like they have Bam back there. They have Jimmy, obviously, like Kyle Lowry is as smart as he is, like taking charges and like constantly being in the right position. Like Haywood Highsmith is like a really good defender, in my opinion. They they just have a lot of guys that I think make up for the foot like the foot speed potential problem that Hawkes has. But I, I don't think it like again, like he's in the right place for him. And defensively, I think within their scheme, he has been totally fine and I have no issues or concerns. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Next up is Derek Lively. And Lively's game is so simple and basic, and I love it. And it's perfect. Uh, he's just a dude that rim runs and slips screens and screens sometimes even. And uh, the thing I want to call out about Derek Lively, above all, that has stood out, and we'll talk about the defense momentarily, but it's actually his hands. He catches Luca is a guy that is so creative that like he throws passes from such awkward and interesting angles that they're not always like a hundred percent on target, right? He's just reading and reacting and he processes the game so quickly that he's like, I'm going to throw this ball here. Right. And I need my guy to like be on the same page with me and be simpatico and know that uh, like I can trust him to catch the ball. Lively makes some really impressive, like, one-handed above the head catches um, like away from the body catches with his hands that I think are really, really important within Dallas's scheme and structure around Luka Doncic. 
Yeah, and I don't think it should go underappreciated that he is able to have the body control to make those catches, the coordination, all of those things. I've watched some bigs in the NBA draft process, in the NBA, all of that stuff. I'm like, why are his teammates throwing him more lobs? You know, what is going on in practice that they don't trust him? You know, has he dropped too many? Have they not, like you said, being on the same page for Lively to come in as a rookie and develop and build that chemistry and trust with Luka Doncic is really, really impressive. This isn't a team that's at the bottom of the conference. This is a team that's very good trying to, you know, compete and go deep in the playoffs. And he got the trust of the team's franchise player, one of the top five players in the NBA right away. That's really impressive from him. You know, in eighth in rookies in minutes per game, 12th in points. But as you say, he's first, you know, efficiency, first in field goal percentage, and he rebounds the ball, second in rebounds, second in offensive rebounds, only behind Chet and Wimby and blocks. I, what what about his passing? Because I talked to my guy, Richard Stamen, at Maz Draft on Twitter, who watches a bunch yeah. of Maz game. He really was raving about his passing to me, especially kind of his 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 all-around short roll game, but especially his passing. Yeah, to me, it's more about like the – all around short roll game for lively. Like he does make some interesting passes from time to time. And that was always a skill set that I bought a little bit more than like the shooting. Like people thought that maybe lively can come in and shoot. Uh, I always thought it was going to be more of like, if you get some of the passing ability, that would be really nice. I think he's really comfortable handling the ball. I think he's comfortable. The thing about what the way Dallas's scheme operates is they set screens so high that often there is like an ocean of space for lively to be able to roll into. So he doesn't have to be as crowded as some other bigs are. Like for instance, you watch the Pistons all the time. Yeah. When Jalen Duran like short rolls or something like that, like you and I both think like Jalen Duran has some latent passing ability. Agreed. Right. Yes. Uh, but I don't think he gets to show it on the Pistons because Oftentimes defenses are collapsed. He's crowded kind of in a paint like, and and it's hard for him to make those reads. I think when lively is operating in screens, there's just an ocean of space for him and he's able to stop and survey momentarily kind of, and think things through a little bit more and then make a decision based off of that. Yeah. And by that, I I mean like, look, all of this happened, all of this is happening still like within a second and a half, right? Like we're not sitting here saying that like it's, he's not doing this like quickly. He's absolutely doing it quickly. But even that extra time, I think gives you a chance to read and react a little bit better. And there's still something to be said for at times having to catch it at, you know, uh, at the top of the key and maybe put it on the deck for one or two dribbles and then react to how the defense either steps to you or doesn't step to you or rotates and those type of things. But yeah, I mean, being able to make those passing reads, he is 55% from three to 10 feet. Those are 31% of his attempts. So one third of his attempts aren't right at the rim. Obviously, you know, it's, it's the dunks, the lobs, the play finishing. I get it. But being able to do stuff in that in-between game is huge. So I'm with you. I think being kind of the, the short roll efficient whether it's passing or finishing with a little floater whatever it needs to be i always love seeing that from these bigs yeah you you want that rim gravity right the lob threat but then being able to counter that especially with a guy like luca who teams may go double as soon as he crosses half court allowing lively to be the guy who catches and makes the play allows you to keep Kyrie on the wing, Tim Hardaway Jr. in the corner, Grant Williams in the corner, Josh Green, whoever it is, you can keep those guys to be the absolute play finisher 
and lively to catch it in the middle. And if he's able to get it to the right spot, that's super valuable. Yep. That's dead on. Uh, I believe I have a clip here of lively kind of operating in the mid post area here. So, or not mid post, I'm sorry, out of a short roll. Yeah, exactly. So this is against the thunder. I forget how long ago this is, but he kind of just sets this like little ghost and you can see because they have shooters all over the court and because of how high they set these ghost actions and screens and because of how much gravity Luca has as a playmaker and how you try and take the ball out of Luca's hands, just look at all that space, <laughs> right? Like this is the perfect amount of space to be able to operate in. And then you see lively, like he can put the ball on the ground once Ooh. and then just throw down on chat, right? Like these are, these are the things that make lively as impressive as he is offensively to me. It's the ability to catch the ball from a wide variety of angles away from the body. It's the ability to put the ball on the deck. It's the leaping ability to be sure. Like he can absolutely go up and get it. Uh, and then it's also just his overall comfort level, like in being able to stop and think load off of two feet. And then I'm just going to throw down. Right. And he, he changes the angle of the finish too, Sam. Like if you watch, yep. A lot of guys would just go straight up here and try to put it like over the top of Chet. He actually cocks it back over kind of his left shoulder and then is able to change the angle to go around Chet a little bit. I know it sounds super simple, especially if you're listening to this and not watching on YouTube, but that's like not everybody has that nuance with their finishing. You see a lot of really athletic guys who aren't finishing well at the rim because they don't have that. Yeah, no, I think it's dead on. I think it's really, really dead on. Um, just a super impressive athlete that is capable of a lot of fluid things on the court. Like people thought of him as like an explosive leaper, but I think that like his versatility and ball screens in defense got underrated coming into the draft because he is so fluid and quick. Uh, I think that his just overall uh, intelligence on the court kind of gets underrated as well. Like he's comfortable out there from day one. Like he knows what he's doing. Uh, everything I've seen from lively has been super impressive defensively. Like I just want to call out like his ability around the basket transforms Dallas yeah. uh, defensively yeah. in a, such a substantial way. He, he has been really, really good as a rim protector defensively for them, especially for a rookie coming in. These are exactly the things that we thought Derek lively would be entering the NBA. I thought it would take him a little bit longer if you look like throughout his career, like for instance, at Duke last year, it took him like half of a season. I thought that right now is when we'd start to see lively, like heating up, right. And yeah. getting going a little bit more. Uh, the fact that he was able to do it from game one, where he was phenomenal against uh, Phoenix, if I remember correctly, he is very clearly to me, the fourth best rookie to this point. Yeah, he's been really impressive. Again, Richard, I asked, like, what are strengths, weaknesses, and his impact? One of the weaknesses, he did put foul trouble. That's a that's a rookie big man thing. That's, that's not crazy. Yeah. But the impact, he talked about just the second-line defense. And then the roster, like, shout out the Mavericks, front office, organization, whoever, for pinpointing him, going and getting him, and no, being ready to play him as a rookie. And then Brett Bluma, yeah, shout out Wichita. Uh, stay warm, my friend, as this cold front's coming through pretty heavy this weekend. Yep. Oh man. Uh, that is, uh, that is, it's very cold. I haven't talked to Bryce about that, uh, earlier in the day. Okay. 
Next thing that we want to talk about are the Golden State Warriors and their rookies, Pods and Trace Jackson Davis. Uh, we'll probably start to zoom through these a sure. little yeah, yeah, yeah. bit quicker now, except for maybe one guy uh, okay. as we go through. Uh, pods, we talked a little bit about during the Hawkes section. What stands out with Pods? Pods, two things. Uh, first, basketball IQ is through the roof, and he is a perfect fit within this Warriors scheme. His ability to dribble pass shoot, they desperately need it on the court, especially now without Chris Paul. Uh, they need somebody beyond Stephen Curry who is comfortable putting the ball on the deck, who's comfortable making quick decisions and who can be a floor spacer who can attack uh, heavy closeouts, who can run ball screens occasionally second side actions more than anything, things like that. Like his ability just to run off the ball, understand space, uh, rapidly make decisions with the ball, uh, make these like quick read passes and reversals and, you know, he'll cut back door and then like, he'll find the man in the corner quickly. It's just the basketball intelligence from like the, from day one that stands out. And it's a perfect fit within like golden States, like read and react offense. And then the second piece of it's like, he just plays hard, like yeah. it, the energy and aggression. And he's just like constantly at a hundred and it's just a huge, huge benefit for them. Yeah, I think I've talked about this before. For a long stretch, Sam, I I didn't watch games with the broadcast on. I wouldn't listen to the volume. And then I realized like I'm missing out on little nuggets here and there where the broadcast talks about what a coach said, what teammates said, even random facts and stats. And when I was watching the Warriors, every broadcast, whether it was the home or the way, would talk about how the Warriors players talked about Pod's energy and how contagious it was and mm. how they needed it. And this is something that team really needs right now, especially where it's very positive energy. And he, he just makes all those type of plays. He's, he's going to step in and take a charge if he needs to and and those type of things. And then you say, he, he makes threes right now. He's shooting over 40%, almost 41% on over three a game shooting 52% on corner threes right now. And then I think you hit it spot on. Just the feel and the ability to play at the pace and make the decisions you need to be able to make playing with this Warriors offense, he's a really nice fit there. There's some foot speed stuff. There's some defensive things, especially on the ball, but you're not going to question how hard he works. And, you know, he's even finished well. You know, he's finished... 71% zero to three feet, not a ton of attempts down there, but if he can find kind of the finesse way to finish in the lane, that's just another little added aspect to it. Maybe get the floater going. Um, he's a skilled player that plays really, really hard. Yeah. He's had a couple of those like weird little like hook shots that yeah, he yeah. takes from time yeah. to time. Like th there have been some moments where I think he is really kind of flashed as a, he, he's working around it as a finisher. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah he figures out how to make it work even in spite of the lack of measurements. I kind of wanted to grab a um, video of pods real quick, just to like kind of showcase exactly what I'm talking about here in terms of the movement within golden States offense. Right. So like this sets up as they're going to entry this to pods and it's just going to be like a DHO like double drag. Again, we kind of saw that earlier with the Cavs trying to run that against Vic, but He's going to throw this DHO back to Steph. He's going to make contact on the screen here, which is huge, right? Like that's a pretty solid screen. It's going to be pitched cross court here, then a DHO to pods. Pods is going to reverse it. Then he's going to come back around for the dribble handoff into a three in the corner. Like 
it's the energy just in terms of he stays moving. Yeah. Like he stays moving constantly. He's a threat. Like offensively, I have no qualms about him right now. I think he's been super, super impactful on that end. Uh, defensively, I have some, like the, none of my concerns pre-draft that admittedly I fully over-indexed on. Like I was just wrong on pods. I had him as a second rounder. This guy's not a second rounder. Uh, he is definitely a really, really capable NBA player that's going to be good. I do have some worries on the defense. Teams do seem to go at him when he's on the court pretty consistently, I think. Uh, and, and it's been a problem from time to time. He takes charges. He plays hard. He's in the right position. Again, the IQ is super high. I'm just going to be interested to see how he kind of holds up in big moments. At the end of the day, and this is no knock, like this isn't hating, athleticism, size, quickness, length, all of that stuff matters. Now, you you can overcome some of it to an extent with IQ, feel, active and accurate hands, taking charges, toughness, all of those things. I get it. But at the end of the day, sometimes guys are limited. I don't think we're going to talk about Marcus Sasser because we won't have time. I watch dudes just jump over him and shoot uncontested mid-range jumpers. Not because he's not trying, but because he's, you know, barely over six foot and small. And it just was an easy shot. So some guys have to find ways to overcome that or just be a little bit of a liability defensively. Real quick on the possession you just shown, I don't want people to undervalue his ability to play from one action to the next, Sam. Like not yeah. everybody does that where he immediately catches this. Or when Sarich catches it, he immediately sees to follow that. And then now says, okay, I don't have what I want. I'm going to throw a live dribble right-hand pass. And then I'm going to continue to follow that right away as well. Like it's just, it's one thing to be in constant motion. It's another to get to the right spots at the right time and play from one action right into the next. Yeah. And like what he's recognizing here is that Jokic particularly is going to stay in the paint. Yes. Like he knows that Jokic is going to stay in the paint, which means that Gordon's going to have to like fight way over the top of this screen to contest it. And honestly, Aaron does a great job. Like Aaron's a great defender. He gets there and contests it. It's just that Pods is a great shooter. Yeah, and I mean, it's better to do that than try to attack Gordon off the dribble, right? So like he gets a switch with Aaron Gordon. Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to attack that. Oh, Jokic is on the block. Perfect. And shout out, you know, Trace Jackson Davis for catching and he immediately flows into the action as well. Right. He catches, takes a couple dribbles up, giving pods a little bit of space into the corner so he can get the shot off. And that's why the this isn't easy to execute. I, I think we talk about how much fun it is to watch the Thunder offense, dribble pass, shoot, dribble pass. It's not easy though. You have to work off of each other and you have to react to what your teammate does. Yeah, so Pods uh, has not been very good in the last two games. Like, the Warriors are struggling. They lost to Toronto. They got obliterated by the Pelicans, right? Uh, The 14 games before those last two, though, he'd been averaging 12 points, six rebounds, 4.4 assists, 49% from the field, 43% from three. Like, 1.6 deals per game. Like he'd just been all over the place and it'd been so, so valuable again. Like the defense is the thing that is going to continue to pop for him, but they're a mess defensively in general right now. So like, I don't know how much to place on him on that. And, and like, by the way, like we should talk about Trace Jackson Davis. I have liked a lot of what you just said about trace in terms of like, has that innate understanding that warriors 
that the Warriors look for from their bigs, like from Looney and from Draymond of screening, rescreening, dribble handoff, getting your body in the way of guys on dribble handoffs, uh, movement into short roll areas, passing ability. Like he can finish at times. I, I think it's been a real struggle with him on the court defensively. Like it, it's, there's just not, he's just not big enough. I think yes, to correct. really be able to play as a big, I think it was the Celt- center, at least. Yeah. I think it was the Celtics game where he was playing in crunch time and they, I, I, I know they ended up winning that game, but that was the one where the Celtics got like four wide open threes at the end of the game. Cause the Warriors just simply couldn't pull down a defensive rebound. And yeah, again, at the end of the day, like some guys have some flaws, like they're not as good a rebounder. He's, he's a decent offensive rebounder. He, he brings yeah. energy. I think he's been, yeah, he's been first in offensive rebounds of rookies since December 1st, but defensive rebounds, not quite as much. He's fourth overall so that tells you kind of the gap between his offensive and defensive rebounding again they're getting quality minutes from a late second round pick right so i I don't want to say i don't want to sit here and like crap on trace jackson davis for what he's brought where he was selected like shout out to the warriors for getting him there shout out for him for producing the way he has the flaw is the warriors having to count on trace jackson davis in crunch time against the boston celtics that's not a trace jackson davis issue that's a golden state warriors issue i think trace looks like a legit backup center in the nba which is huge agreed uh he over his last 12 games he's averaging 12 points 7.7 rebounds 1.8 assists 1.2 blocks shooting 70 four percent from the field uh he does a great job of just doing what's asked of him offensively i think uh it, it's an enormous enormous piece of the puzzle uh for the warriors if the, as they've survived i think is the easiest way to put this uh time without draymond even if they haven't actually survived they've like floundered a lot of the time that they've played there okay uh next up we wanted to do case and wallace uh Let's let's save Kaysen for the end because I don't have like crazy takes on Kaysen. I don't have a ton um, either. Yeah, let, let's do let's do what the people are waiting for. Let's do a men and Cam Whitmore. Uh, cool. let, let's talk a men first because I think a men is going to be a little bit of a quicker conversation. Agreed. Um, a men is like basically playing. I would say more on the wing. Like they play him most of his minutes with Aaron Holiday, and they let. Uh, a men bring the ball up the court like a decent amount of the time, but in half court settings, it does feel like most of the time Aaron holiday is the one initiating and a man is sitting in the corner trying to find ways to cut baseline, or he is like maybe lifting to the wing and like trying to get like an open three, the bulls last night, like ended up putting like Andre Drummond on him for yes, stretches of time, <laughs> yes, which was interesting. Uh, <laughs> concerning in my opinion that uh he just didn't like straight beat andre to the rim kind of um that that feels like something he should be able to do is just like consistently get past those dudes but rookie like it's just not it's not something worth like over indexing on i think he's been active and energetic on defense uh, he had stretches last night where I thought he did an okay job on DeMar DeRozan. DeMar caught him a couple of times just yep. with like up fakes and like caught his over aggression. But I think a man like generally works hard on the defensive end and that leads to transition opportunities where he has been really good this year. Like if he gets a chance to like go and has numbers, like it's going to be really, really hard to stop him. I think that's where a lot of his main offensive ability has been. Uh, 
yeah, we'll see what Amen looks like moving forward. I, I think he's just like, this is something that we talked about pre-draft uh, privately and like that I talked about certainly publicly. Um, and I can like pull up the draft guide while we're talking here. But like, I thought he was a loose ball handler and I thought that it would take him a minute. He's a creative ball handler, but he is a loose ball handler that uh, is going to take a minute. I'll say, I, I don't want to be the guys like, oh, they're twins, so we're saying the same things about them. But a lot of the things you just said about a man are the same things going on with the SAR in Detroit right now, where he's struggling to finish at the rim, even when he does get there in non dunk attempts. The handle has been loose. Defensively, it's active, but it's it's not always perfect. One thing I put as well, being guarded by Drummond, is he was playing so far off, Sam. It was hard yeah. for a man to even be a good passer. Like he couldn't even find angles in passing lanes because Drummond was so far off. Those weren't even there. And I do think a man can pass. And so those things were taken away. I did like some of the off ball cuts defensively. Uh, DeRozan got him on the shot fake the first time in the first half. And then a man stayed down in the second half when DeRozan tried to do the same thing. So that was good. He got beat off the bounce a couple times. He goes rogue off the ball at times. But like in general, I think he's playing hard. We know the athleticism. Um, it's going to take some time. Yeah. So like what I wrote in the draft guide is like these issues exist when he's taking pull ups. Uh, the worry here is that a lacking jumper would allow defenses to go under ball screens all the time and dare him to shoot while trying to cut off his driving angles and bog down the offense when he doesn't have the ball really would struggle to not be a liability in terms of defenders sagging off entirely from him into the paint to clutter things from teammates. Uh, and arguably the biggest problem is that he doesn't have a way to beat defenses with any sort of in-between game. Russell Westbrook could at least stop and pop on balance for a mid-range jumper. Thompson has not displayed any of that. Uh, and then additionally, I talked a decent amount about like handle can get loose. He can over dribble a bit, um, dominates the ball, like completely drives transition play. Half court can be a bit muted and has some ball control turnovers. So like all of that is pretty pretty much what we've seen and look these guys are coming up from ote it's gonna be a minute yep i always thought these guys were gonna be like a project just because it was gonna take some time and that looks like what it's gonna be yeah i agree 100 percent. let's talk about the the main attraction here in houston let's do uh it. cam whitmore yep. uh, cam whitmore in his last eight games he's averaging 12 points in 16.8 minutes 3.4 rebounds 1.3 steals uh, I think he has like three assists in that time, which is, you know, classic Whitmore. But at the same token, like, I don't think he's played selfishly. I think he has tried to attack, but once he it's not there, he resets the offense and like moves the ball out. Uh, he's shooting 55, 46, 82 in that eight game stretch. The shot looks pure as hell. We saw it in the G League this year. It looked pure as hell there. I've always kind of bought him as a shooter off the like pull-up ability like the big thing that stands out though is just the uh, the power mixed with the balance to me uh cam whitmore being able to put his shoulder into you and then euro step around you like it's nobody's business this dude is a special athlete this is why i had him in the top three of the class he is a special 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 athlete uh, in terms of his ability to create, uh, I, yeah, I, I think he is, he has been a real dude to this point, everything I've seen, uh, on offense, we'll talk about the defense momentarily, but like on offense, he is just such a, such a freight train that it's so hard to stop. 
Yeah, I mean, I really liked the shot. I believed in it. I bought into it. He can do it off the catch. I thought he was going to be able to do that. I think he made a a really tough mid-range going to his right, I think it was, last night where he pulled up and and knocked it down. And yeah, I'm glad you brought up the passing. I, I know all of the assist numbers. I get it. I understand it. Assists don't tell the whole story. He, he's not going to be a creator. That's not going to be his game. You're not putting Cam Whitmore in your lineup for him to create a ton of open shots. You're putting him in your lineup to go get buckets and be explosive, be a physical presence, get downhill. But he isn't selfish, and I think he can be a ball mover. Uh, he, he doesn't create, but he keeps the ball moving. Last night, he had a beautiful, beautiful one more pass Second possession of overtime. So he was playing in crunch time in that game yeah. into overtime against the Bulls. They ended up losing, but a beautiful one more to Fred Van Fleet in the corner. And Fred just simply missed a wide open catch and shoot three from the corner. It happens. And that's why assists don't always. If Fred hits that shot, maybe people are talking about, man, look at this pass from Cam Whitmore. But because Fred missed it, it kind of went unnoticed. So I think he's fine in terms of keeping the ball moving, being unselfish. I think the biggest thing is, yeah, he's going to have to be able to drive, uh, attract defense, and then make the right decisions out of that. But he's athletic. He can shoot it defensively. Oh, I also, he had some, like, played in the dunker spot even. He's athletic enough. He was even, you know, playing on the baseline and doing those things. Offensive rebounds, all of that. Defensively, yeah, there was some bad ones. I actually think he can guard on the ball when he's engaged. I think the biggest worry with Cam Whitmore is like how many back doors does he give up? How many times does he not check out on the weak side? Those type of things. So uh, El Tamar over on Twitter, uh, shout out to him. He grabbed like a lot of possessions of Cam Whitmore last night on the ball against DeMar DeRozan. And like what stands out is he's just strong. Like he's just physically strong. He can cut these dudes off. Like, look at this one. He is driving DeMar DeRozan out to the three-point line uh, on a curl. Like, he is cutting off DeMar DeRozan. No, that's uh, Io DeSumo. But, like, he's cutting off these dudes' baseline and making it so that, like, if they get there and he gets back, he is just going to put a wall in front of you. This is a switch, and that's Pat Williams. Pat Williams is strong. That dude is physical. He puts his uh, shoulder into him. Yeah. Look, he makes it. Okay. Make sure we see the context there for everybody. The Bulls are up four with 30 seconds on that possession, and Whitmore plays good enough on ball defense to make DeMar DeRozan get rid of it, not even get a shot up from his spot in the mid range. Now, DeRozan got him a couple times with the up fake and all of that. He played good enough to make DeMar DeRozan get rid of the ball in crunch time from his spot. I think that speaks – like I almost think he's a guy, Sam. You actually put on the second-best perimeter player on the other team where he can just kind of lock in and say, hey, Cam, don't worry a whole lot about some of this other stuff. You just guard that guy tonight. Like just really lock in and guard that guy and then go get us 20 on the offensive end. That's it. No, I'm with you. Like, I think you can absolutely have him do that. I think he is a total stud. Like everything I've seen from him makes me think that this is going to be a very, very, very real, like dude quality player. Uh, I would still have him, I think in the top three of this draft class, if you made me uh, point it out or you made me like pick, I guess. 
this is the offensive clip I wanted to grab. I'm sorry, but it comes against the Pistons, Bryce. Uh, this is one where like, looks like Killian Hayes is on him. Killian Hayes like sinks a little bit too deep in, puts the ball between his legs super quick, loves to do it, loves to try and get to the step back. But then <laughs> if you over pursue the shot, he's just such a freight train as a downhill force that like, as soon as he, as soon as he sees this lane, as soon as Killian Hayes flies by any defender flies by on the shot and you have to fly by on the shot because he's a real shooter. Anytime somebody does it, he's going. And as soon as he goes, he's going to throw down at the basket because that dude is not just a good leaper. He is an elite leaper. Well, here's the other thing. It's not just, I think whenever we talk about leaping ability, sometimes people think about height, right? For me, what I've tried to watch for more and more is how quickly does he get off the ground and how, you know, like how explosive, like he's explosive off the ground right there. It's not about sheer height, like how high he jumps. It's how quickly he got to the rim. And Mr. Ray brings up a good point. He made the extra pass before the cut. So he didn't force us. They're up by 30 with four minutes to go for anybody listening on audio right now. The Rockets are up by 30 with four minutes to go. He's he he played in at the end of the game. He could have just shot it right. Said, you know what? We're up by 30. I'll just shoot this step back. He made the right play. And that was things people, something people really had questions about with Cam Whitmore. And so far what I've seen in his NBA action I haven't watched the G League action. He has made the right play more often than not. Yeah, he is a monster, I think, on offense. On defense, he guards on the ball. Off the ball, it is the biggest adventure in the world right now. Uh, it, It is such an adventure for him, trying to figure out where exactly he has to be, where the help rotations are, everything like that. It is a, it's real wild watching him try and figure it out on the fly on defense in the NBA. He's young. Like you hope it'll come right. Uh, doesn't matter. Like, and look, like I'll say this, like he's not perfect with the passing. Like he's like, there sure. are times no, yeah, where yeah, he yeah. pass up like easy reversals, but it's way better than what people gave him credit for. And I look I again, this is why I had him in the top three. Like, I think he's not a selfish guy. I thought there was positive defensive on ball attributes and I thought he was just an absolute dude as an athlete. Like be, like to me, like I've seen a couple of people in the comments bring up Jalen Brown. I I've always thought that like that was the best comparison for Cam Whitmore was Jalen Brown. So, uh, so somebody said like more athletic Jalen Brown. He's not that he's a different kind of athlete. Jalen is like what, especially when he came in out of Cal, like he was like wildly explosive and like had real, uh, force mixed with like verticality. I think Jalen gets up higher. I think that uh, Cam plays with more force and like physicality. After all of that happened, I just found myself going, even if Cam only has a seven year NBA career because of his knees or what, whatever the intel was or the reports were, isn't that still worth more than going yes. 20? Like yes. if you're going to get seven years, that's two contracts of a dude that's this good. Isn't it still worth it? Yeah. And look like is cam staying healthy going to be as big of a concern as it was made out on draft night from YouTube user. Um, look, maybe, but nobody I talked to was concerned about it being a short-term thing. Um, we'll find out five, six, seven, honestly, like 
most people I talked to thought it was like eight to 10 years down the road, but like maybe there'd be some diminishment over the course of the time, uh, getting to that point. But no, I think that, yeah, no, I think it was so look, I talked about it. I don't need to continue to belabor it. I talked about it throughout the process. I thought it was way overblown. I thought everything was way overblown in terms of like his mentality, his, whatever people, all the demeanor like, stuff and demeanor, yeah. like doesn't smile. Like that stuff was so overblown. I thought um, he's like a kid that from what I know, I, I, I do, I have not, I've not talked to Cam Whitmore, but what I was told is that he is a kid that like, if you show him respect, he will give respect back to you. And he will like, he, there's, he's a, he's not a bad kid. Like he's a totally fine kid. Like, I don't, I don't know why people, people way over indexed on it way, way, way over indexed on it. And it wasn't just people in the public sphere. Like sometimes it's just people in the public sphere that think this stuff. And in this case, it was people in NBA front offices that thought it. Um, someone asked uh, Cam Whitmore better than Jalen Green. I thought that coming into the year again, I had Cam at three on this on my draft board. Um, like, yes, uh, to me, that's always been the case. But um, you know, that, that was what, bad what for me as a Pistons guy, Sam, because I had preached on my Pistons pod for weeks that Cam Whitmore should be the pick at number five. You know, assuming that the four. We were assuming the four that went in the top four was what happened. And I, me and Amari both were Cam Whitmore. Cam Whitmore. We were at Cam Whitmore Pistons pod. So not only did they not take Cam Whitmore, when Cam Whitmore went 20, I looked like an idiot to Pistons fans. And so uh, I'm not wishing ill or whatever. I want everybody to succeed. But seeing him be good uh, makes me feel a little bit validated talking, even talking about him at, at number five. Yeah, and Tavarius uh, in the comments asks, Rockets have to trade some of these young guys. We've talked about Jay Sean Tate, right? Um, like, I think Tate makes sense as a potential trade chip. Uh, look, like I mentioned on the last podcast, like, look, we need to be honest about like Jalen Green in terms of he is coming up on a potential extension eligible summer and he's having, he's not taking the steps forward. So his situation gets complicated moving forward for the Rockets here. Uh, my opinion, not anything I know from any intel, right? My opinion is that you want to be early on these decisions more often than late. Um, Jalen Green gets expensive potentially in a few years or in 18 months. I would want to get value for him before then personally. Um, I don't know what the Rockets will do with Jalen Green. Um, we will see. That remains to be seen. Um, okay. Bryce, let's kind of run through. Let's do Brandon Miller real quick as well um, is a more slightly more substantial one. Uh, Brandon Miller uh, has been quite good uh, throughout the course of the season. That's my take. Uh, look, he's made 38% of his threes, averaging 14.4 points. Uh, he looks every bit the part of a solid NBA wing. He's hit like a little bit of a wall over the course of the last few games. He kind of got like nicked up. He missed a game there. Um, I can't remember if it was like an ankle injury or something like that, where it's just like a little minor thing where he missed one game. And since he's been back, he hasn't been quite as good. 
Um, and I wonder like, you know, maybe that took him out of rhythm or something like that. Uh, you know, it, there, there was a real stretch there where he looked awesome, basically from like mid November to mid December, where he averaged 17 points and shot 43, 44, 84. Um, what I will say though, is that a, a lot of Miller's limitations athletically uh, do continue to pop for me just in terms of getting to the rim, pressuring the rim, being able to take advantage of mismatches, even getting to the rim. Yes. Uh, and even like finishing, like it, it has been not quite as uh, not quite as good as what you would like to see. Yeah. Only 16% of his shots come from the rim to three feet. I would like to see him. I don't know if it's a mid post game or something. Uh, the yeah. bulls game, he was getting guarded by Kobe white. There was the Pelicans game. It seemed like Alvarado was ending up matched up on him quite a bit, and he wasn't able to take advantage of those in any sort of way other than, yeah, you can just shoot over them at the three-point line, which isn't a bad option for somebody that shoots the ball as well as he does. But I just found myself going, I would like to see him be able to take this matchup and go play in the mid post and take advantage of yep. them there. And it, he's got to get stronger. We, we all know that somebody asked about his defense. I, I don't know that it's been good. What I find interesting is they're asking him to guard other teams, best players in that bulls game. He was the one matched up with DeMar DeRozan. He hold, held up. Okay. DeRozan is going to school young players, you know, in the mid posts and in the mid range. Um, but I like seeing that from him in terms of just taking those matchups. He had one ball screen where he ended up getting called for an offensive foul, but he kind of went in, tried to jail and snake and cross the face of the defensive player with a jump stop into a floater. Ended up getting called for an offensive foul. But yeah. I think he's like you talked about earlier, just testing his you know what he can do um i, I was on a yeah. pod recently with uh dave love and he talked about exploring the sandbox so you don't want to stay just yeah. in the middle of the sandbox you want to explore the sandbox a little bit i'd like to see brandon do that a little bit more with his all-around offensive game just in terms of what can i do what can i not do and then he can figure out what he needs to work on in the offseason a little bit more yeah and so much of it is strength right? Yes, like how agreed. strong can his lower body get? Uh, Brandon is a kid. Like, look, he's 21 years old already. He's, you know, he's not old. Like, let's be clear about that. But, you know, he's a little bit older than the normal one and done in terms of entering the NBA at a certain age. And his lower body needs quite a bit of work. So what level that can get to, I think will play the critical role in what his upside ends up being. Has every chance to be an all-star, like long-term, I think. If the lower body gets to that point can absolutely be like an all-star caliber player, which is, you know, why I had him in that tier. Like I ranked him ahead of Amen Thompson and, you know, I, I quite liked Brandon Miller pre-draft. Uh, I like to scoop more, but uh, I like Brandon and think Brandon is a real potential all-star long-term. Yeah. I think he's a guy that there's nothing I've seen that takes away from a good sized wing who has a chance to really score the ball. I think I really believe yep. in that from two levels. I think, he, you know, from the three-point yeah. line and in the mid-range, especially if you get out of mid-post, does the rim scoring ever come around? I don't know, but you can still score a lot of points in this league scoring from those two levels. Right, and to me, like, that's the difference between him and, like, Paul George, right? Agreed. Uh, Paul George was just, like, a nuclear athlete 
coming out of Fresno State, right? Like he was crazy, crazy bouncy. Uh, Brandon is not that. So we will see where that goes at the end of the day. Yep. Uh, he has a chance to his chance to add strength and like be able to keep guys in jail, be able to take advantage of his length and high release point on his pull up and everything like that. But like, I, I don't know that I see like Paul George upside. I think I see like, you know, next year down, like Chris Middleton, like, you know, multi-time all-star, like could be like a really, 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 really great, you know, player uh, in the league. I like it. Next up, uh, let's just talk Scoot now. Uh, okay. Scoot is in the middle of like a disaster game where <laughs> the Thunder beat the uh, the final score. It looks like the Thunder beat the Blazers one thirty nine to seventy seven. Uh, Scoot went four for twenty one from the field, including one for nine from three. Six rebounds, two assists, three turnovers. Uh, was a minus fifty six in the minutes that he was on the court tonight. Woo. That's a aggressive uh, amount of bad from the Blazers <laughs> tonight. Uh, yeah. Look like scoot to me, it's all for young guards. I just like to see, can they get to their spots? Can they figure out like how to read the court and operate? Um, the finish, the final product is just nowhere near there for scoot yep. right now. Um, finishing. I thought it was getting better, but then like, it's kind of reverted the last like few games. Um, the shooting is obviously not there from the three point line. I like that. He's confident enough to take them, but like, he's just not, uh, not there yet as a shooter by NBA standards. And I think he's been able to get where he wants on the court, like out of ball screens. Like that's the critical thing. Like, I think he has been able to get into his areas where he's able to succeed. And if you believe that he will eventually improve as a shooter and finisher, because he's a great athlete and because he's, you know, 19 years old right now, then there's, you know, look, there's reason to be lower on him, but like, again, young guard struggle in the NBA, this happens and he's being asked to like run the show on a terrible basketball team. So like, I wouldn't expect it to look great, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think I believe in his mid range right now, 10 to 16 feet, 40%, 16 feet feet to the three point line, 30%. I think where he's really struggled is a little closer to the rim, actually, where he's just 51% from the rim to three, 29% three feet to 10 feet. I I just don't know that he's adjusted to NBA level shot blockers and rim protectors and just figuring out the nuance and the finesse of that, right? He's a, and and you you took the words right out of my notes. He's got to his spots. He, he can, I always, going back to the first time I watched him play when he was a 17 year old before the year before he came out, it wasn't the explosiveness, the body, all of that. I love the nuance that he played with, even as a 17 year old playing with the ignite, the way he would operate a ball screen and snake it and gel it. And you know, all of those things manipulate. Now he has to be able to figure out how to finish when he's not just able to use his explosiveness, his body and those type of things. I think he has the wingspan, all of those things to get there. It's just going to take a little bit of time to do so. You know, he's still averaging five assists, a little over three turnovers. So, you know, he, he does make some crazy mistakes at times, but you can still see some of the passing defensively. I think it has a ways to go. Somebody asked in the chat, uh, you know, 
ball screen defense. He's got to figure out how to navigate, not die on yeah. screens, those type of things. He, he's he got a ways to go defensively still. Well, like, and they also play this like weird scheme where like they have him like press way up on dudes and yep. like play like real, like, like high on the court and like open up more space on the court. Like it feels I, I don't really understand what they're trying to accomplish with that. Totally. To be honest. Um, I don't think it puts him in a great position. I don't think he's been good defensively. Let me be clear, but like, I, I'd be interested to see what it looks like in a different scheme where he's not being asked to like pressure 40 feet from the rim. Sometimes uh, in the 13 games before these last three, including this fucking travesty of a game tonight uh, in Oklahoma city, uh, in those previous 13 games, Scoot had been averaging 15.3 points, six assists versus only three turnovers. Good number there. Shooting 39.6% from the field, but 41.2% from three uh, and 83% from the line. He had really actually started to like turn a corner yes. up until these last you know, few games where it's been kind of reverting back and been a bit of a struggle. Part of it is that the shot started to fall. Like, yes. If the shot is falling, it does kind of open things up for him in a real way. Uh, if he makes shots, like he's going to be a good player. That's so so simplistic to say that, and like kind of like a like a douchey thing to say. But like, I think if he as soon as he shoots, it's going to open up the court for him in a real way. Listen, I know people get really frustrated with the term "it's a make or miss league" or "it's a make or miss game," or you know, if they. Sometimes it is true though, Sam, like sometimes it really comes down to, I was talking to the high school coach here, uh, you know, at the, the high school I work at and he was talking, you know, we use huddle assists. And so they got their huddle assist stuff back from a game they lost. And he's like, we beat them in every category. You know what two we didn't beat them in effective field goal percentage. And I'm like, yeah, like I looked at the stats too. And sometimes the other team makes shots and sometimes you don't. And that's the biggest factor for scoop. Making threes is going to force harder closeouts. It's not going to allow players to go under ball screens, which is going to be huge. I always thought that was the biggest thing. He needs to be able to force players and teams to play over the top of ball screens because if he can force that, then it's over. I have all the belief that he can then attack a drop coverage and mid-range pull-up or snake it or throw the lob, manipulate the defense, whatever he needs to do. If teams simply go under the ball screen and he can't shoot it, or he chooses not to shoot it, well, now they're in good position to take away a drive. The mid-range becomes further away, those type of things. So sometimes it just is as simple as that, especially early in a career. Uh, Someone brought up like these G League prospects from Jalen Green to Henderson have been a bit underwhelming. I think we truly just need to like stop pretending that the G League is a better development environment than college basketball. Yeah, we, we've format. had this conversation, right? Like, it's yeah. th- none of these guys have proven to come in more NBA ready. No, like, truly, like, I, I don't think any of them has come in and, like, made a real impact at this point. I, I think a lot of the stuff from Scoot defensively, too, was like, I think you watched some of the stuff last year and he looked a little bit checked out as well. Like, just the, the motor and stuff yeah. in general wasn't. And some people yeah. really, really, and, and I don't say people like, fairly some people really really you know knocked him and critiqued him for that so yep uh asar thompson and marcus sasser like let's just kind of buzz through some of these uh asar was playing really well when we did the first uh edition of this he has you know basically like been removed from 
the rotation, not removed, but like playing substantially fewer minutes. Let's go with over the course of the last, I don't know. What do you want to say? Two weeks, Bryce, something like well, that. I mean, since December 1st, Sam, he's 15th amongst rookies in minutes per game. 15th yeah. amongst rookies. So, so it's substantial. S- since, since the day after Christmas, uh, he's averaging 14 minutes per game, uh, which is just like so small. And look like, I think I was a little lower on uh, Asar and his play early in the season than some are. And I think that in large part, it was because of the offense. It was a struggle uh, for the Pistons anytime he was out there. So yeah, it was, uh, it was tough. Yeah. I mean, he, the, the concerning thing is even if you math it out to match the minutes per game, his rebounding isn't as active. His steals and blocks are down. Like all of those things, like the things that he was doing really well and he, he, he isn't being as impactful. I don't, I know it's harder to in the role he's now being asked, but Sam, he he's at 14% from three. He he can't shoot. And the misses are bad, like really bad. bad air balls, long short all of those things the only shot i'm super confident outside of a dunk for a sar he actually is pretty decent dribbling in and then kind of fading away from eight to 12 feet that shot actually looks halfway decent everything else not so much the handle's loose it just it's been a tough go and doesn't make it any better that he plays with a team that's not very good at all. And so some teams can maybe use this guy that just brings energy, going to block a shot, get out and transition, all of those things. This team needs a guy that can score the ball and space the floor a little bit. It goes past that too, though. Like in his last 10 games, he's shooting 28% from the field. Yeah. Like it's been, it's been a struggle since he's been like kind of downshifted into this like more limited role. Uh I like the defensive energy. Like you're yeah. right. It's definitely decreased a little bit, but like he is a guy that can make a difference, you know, in terms of his defensive energy. Uh, it's just, it, he's a, he's a significant project on offense, yeah. which is what I thought coming in. Like he is a, it's going to take quite a bit of time for him uh, on offense. Okay. Uh, Marcus Sasser, any thoughts? Um, like, real quick. Like, I mean, I'm for, for your Pistons, for your Pistons homies. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much more they're going to watch the rest of the season. Uh, they play more on the ball than I anticipated. I think that's my biggest takeaway. Did you see point guard Marcus Sasser or a little bit more play off a jumbo creator floor spaces, spacer market? He does have true wiggle. Like he, he has creativity. Oh, yeah. I'm just surprised. I, I didn't see that as much. Like he has the most um unassisted three-point makes on the team i think maybe outside of Cade or something like that like oh that, that but that's always been his game though like he's I, always been like pull up three-point weapon pull up three-point weapon like he's always been a great shooter off the catch too i i always thought it would be kind of a mix like i thought okay. he'd be like a backup point guard and then like comes in and plays with the stars like when he has it rolling kind of thing and plays so maybe like that's a, maybe yeah. he's only doing the first thing you said and we're not seeing him not get a chance to do the other part. I was like, man, this is an interesting guy to play off of Cade, right? Like you, Sasser can take the 
on defensively that twitchy, more quickie, you know, opposing team's point guard. But on offense, you play the with Cade with the ball in his hands. And like, for example, Sasser shooting 64% on corner threes, but that's only 12% of his three-point attempts. So he's shooting an yep. insane percentage, but not a very high percentage of his attempts. So I just thought that I thought I would see more of it. It seems like it's almost predominantly, almost exclusively on the ball. I think the second part, you bring up a good point. Let him play with the good guys, the good players a little bit more and see if yeah. he can provide that floor spacing. Uh, let's go to, uh, let's go to Case and Wallace next. Okay. Uh, Kaysen Wallace just continues to be able to play basketball at a high level. Uh, yep. He is averaging seven points, two rebounds, 1.5 assists on 52, 43, 84. Uh, he comes in, he defends, he plays hard. Uh, I, I feel like he has been the same guy. Like part of the reason, like I kind of wanted to save Kaysen for later. Kaysen would probably be like my fifth or sixth best rookie so far this season, something in that ballpark. But he just like continues to do the same solid steady things. So while it's effective, it also is like a little bit boring to talk about and like, it's probably unfair to Kaysen, but we've talked a decent amount about him, like on the podcast for a player that's like a bench guy who's coming in and playing defense and knocking down the open three and just like making the right decision constantly. <laughs> I feel so much better because I felt like, man, I don't have a lot on Kaysen to say beyond what we've already said. And so this makes me feel better that we're kind of on the same wavelength there because it was going to be, he is consistent. He knocks down shots. He fills his role effectively. He is thriving in it. I think my biggest thing, or maybe my biggest question, and I don't know that I have the answer is what big Mike asked is, do you think Kaysen has upside? Like how does this scale up with Kaysen Wallace? If the thunder need it to maybe, you know, they're in such a position, they may never need anything more than what we're seeing where he's playing what 22 minutes a night, Another thing real quick, we mentioned this talking about um, Jared McCain. Kaysen has a little more versatility defensively because he's so darn strong. Like he is so strong. Way, way more, way more. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, not just compared to McCain, but just in general, then maybe what he would get credit for just because he's so strong and that allows him to hold up even better defensively. That's absolutely right. Uh, look, his role to me long-term is being able to knock down open catch and shoot threes, maybe occasionally like run some offense as like a second side creator. You'd probably don't want him to be the primary point out there, but he can definitely be the secondary ball handler out there. Uh, I don't know. Like, does it, I think I saw someone bring up like Derek white. Like, I, I think that that's a good name. Honestly, like it'll look different than what Derek is, but in terms of super high IQ plays defense at a high level, I, I'll say this. I don't know if Kaysen will get to Derek white, like first team, all defense guard level. Uh, but offensively, like I think Kaysen can get to 38 to 40 from three. I think that he can attack closeouts at a high level. I don't think he's going to like create offense because like i don't know if he has like the shiftiness to but he does have like a pretty real like mid-range pull-up game that could be yep. effective long term 
uh, I, I don't mind the case in Wallace uh, upside or the Derek white upside that like somebody brought up. Uh, I'm like, I, I love Derek white. You know, I've been awesome. Derek white, you know, fan. I had him, I think in the lottery, the year he was drafted. Don't quote me on that. might've been like 16 or so 17, but like, Loved, loved, loved Derek White from like the moment he got to Colorado from his NAIA school um, or D3, whatever he did. I'm not like Derek White should be an all-star guy this year, uh, which has seemingly been a conversation. Uh, like to me, like Trey Young is like a has been awesome. And like putting Derek really White in the good. all-star game, putting Derek White in the all-star game over Trey Young feels uh, a tad far to me. But... I- I, th- I think sometimes we undervalue being the focal point of an NBA offense and the driving force yeah. of everything that NBA offense. And, and I realize the Hawks aren't very good. I get it. There's get it. still a lot of effort and talent and skill. I think everybody, oh, you could put a lot of people. I don't think a lot of people could do what Trey Young is doing and the number he's putting up on a night in, night out basis. No, Trey has been absolutely unconscious. He in his last 23 games, he's averaging 30 points and 11 assists while shooting 46, 39, 83. He's, he's averaging those numbers. He's very good. At like, basketball. yeah, he is. Trey, Trey is unbelievable. Like if, if Derek White makes the all-star game over Trey Young, like and that's like legitimately like if you actually look, if you go through the guards in the east and you're like, OK, like we have to have this guy like that's kind of the conversation like it's you throw Derek white in the mix with Trey young and it's like, well, okay. I love Derek white. Derek white's a top 40 guy in the league, but like Trey's a dude. Trey's a real dude. Okay. Um, let's go. I mean like Andre Jackson jr. Uh, well, no below Koulibaly. Uh, do you have any, any thoughts? You said that you have not watched a lot of wizards basketball, uh, recently. Yeah, so I, I feel bad. I think as I look through my notes today, they were the team I have watched the least, and yeah. the Pistons play them soon, so I w- didn't dive into the film a whole lot. I think we know what the defense is with his instincts and all that. My guy, Matt Moderno from the Believe in Wizards podcast, he, he wanted to ask about this, so I'm going to throw this to you, Sam. Uh, Wes Unsell Jr. on Bilal's offensive usage recently said it's the flow of the game. We don't run a ton of action for Bilal to begin with. I'm not worried about his offense. Matt was was interested like on a team like this with Bilal, a lottery pick, all of those things. Does that bother you at all? The, do you? We, we talked about this going all the way back to, you know, Kuzma's going to get a lot of usage. Jordan Poole's going to get a lot of usage. Um do, no. do, do you do you want to see this with Bilal uh, in terms of, you know, he's 14th since December 1st with rookies points per game, 13th in field goal attempts, 16th in three-point attempts, not a ton of usage, just over six well, and a half field goal attempts the, on the, the year. The big thing is he plays 27 minutes per game. Yes. Like, yes. It's a, it's a mix. Um, to be honest, no, because I don't think Bilal is ready for it. Okay. Like, just being transparent. Like I think Bilal thrives in transition right now. I think that he is uh, a capable cutter. Like there are moments where like you see him like get the ball on the wing where the defense is in rotation and he can drive and attack the basket and like finish at the rim. Uh, I I don't like I'm for getting him reps. I just think you can do that like over the last two months of the year. 
Like you can do like the calendar will turn to like mid March. There'll be a month left in the season post all-star break. and you can do it post all-star break. Yeah. Yep. Like, and like on some level too, like we can talk about like the priorities for teams, right? Sure. Uh, just handing dudes reps and things like that. Like it creates a problem within an organization. Like it definitely creates a real issue. It needs to be a meritocracy, at least on some level. Uh, if you want to run out occasional lineups where Bilal gets like a few second side opportunities, you know, maybe gets like a couple of primary reps per game. That's one thing. I think that's fine. Um, and frankly, like, I feel like they don't do that often, at least now. Uh, I'm trying to like think back if I've seen any and there isn't one that pops off the top of my head and look like I, Again, like I'm with you. I've watched, you know, seven Wizards games this year. Not a crazy amount. Like th- that team is just not for me, dog. But like I, w- w- when I watch them, I think he has like real juice as an athlete. I think he has yep. real juice as a defender uh, on the ball, particularly. I think off ball, he is learning and still like makes an impact with his length, particularly like, creating transition opportunities and things like that. But like, it's just going to take a minute. And he was always a project. The fact that he can stay on the court right now in an NBA setting and be like, fine, I think is a reasonable way to put it, uh, is enough for me at this point. Yeah. I mean, there's different ways to go through this process, right? Some guys, for whatever reason, maybe you want to force feed them reps. They're ready for that. Maybe their mental makeup and different things like that is put them in these situations um, explore the sandbox to greater links, and then they'll find their boundaries and learn from them. I, I don't know this for sure, but maybe Bilal's not that guy. Maybe it's better at his age and kind of his rise and how quickly it happened to say, let's slow play this a little bit and let's not throw all of those things at him. Let's work at it from a different angle. So I, I'm not around this enough to question it or critique it. I'm really am interested to watch this game upcoming just for Bilal. That's that's the player on the team I'm most interested to watch. You know, I, I always enjoy watching or interested to watch Kuzma as well, especially kind of what they end up deciding to do with him. But yeah, I'll be interested to see kind of if this stuff plays out in this game against the Pistons coming up in terms of his usage and attempts and how involved in the offense he is. Yeah, like I feel like when he takes threes, like he takes – wide open threes and he makes them like he's hit 39% of his threes so far this year. It's just that like, there's a difference between like saying, Hey, you got to go take like tough shots and the shots that Bilal takes now. Bilal has proven that he can do this, which is good. And like, seriously, more than what I thought he'd be ready for already, which is a huge, huge benefit for the wizards at this point. And I think speaks to like, he's going to be able to take on minutes. Like a big thing in the NBA is being able to get minutes, maintain minutes uh, and play them. Right. Uh, That way you can actually get the reps that you need to be able to develop without taking too much off the court. The fact that Bilal does not really take anything off the court when he's on the court uh, makes his open ones defends at a reasonable level. It's going to allow him to get the reps that he needs to potentially fast track his development long term, which is what's important for the Wizards. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they're they're in a situation where you, you have to play the long term game with it. Yeah. Uh 
Okay. Keontae George was like the last main one I think I had here. Uh, Look, I think they look better with him coming off the bench. Uh, he had his, he's, he's hit or miss. Like he's had like a game against Oklahoma city where he had 30 and I thought he looked quite good. He had a great game against Miami where he had like 21 and, you know, knocked down shots and was super effective. Uh, he just has games where like, it's really hard to keep him on the court offensively in terms of his efficiency at this point. Is there any, like, do you have any, the jumper looks so pure. It looks so good. He did in college 38% from the field, 34% from three. And right now in the NBA, he's 37% from the field, 33% from three. Do you have any concerns that it like, this is what he's going to be efficiency wise? Like, do you think it? Cause to me, like he looks like a more efficient shooter than this, but it's like the numbers haven't necessarily backed it up. I think from three, no, I don't really have as many concerns. Like he takes okay. some tough ones now. Sure. Yeah. Um, from two and like from finding space into like driving lanes and things like that. Yeah. I have some concerns on him being okay. able to like consistently finish at the rim, pressure the basket, things like that. Uh, I think that's like a reasonable worry to have uh, defensively. Like it, it's, it's not ideal, but uh I think that, you know, I'll, I'll say this too. Like I thought that when they put him in the starting lineup after like, what was it like 10 games or so? I thought that he really helped foster like ball movement for them and like really, really helped them uh, like create like a bit more of a culture of unselfishness on the team in a way that helped. Obviously he, you know, got hurt and now he's back and he's coming off the bench and they've gotten like scalding hot since then. I think they've won like 11 of 15 or something like that. And they've been fantastic. And a big piece of that is like Colin Sexton being fantastic on offense. And then, uh, Chris Dunn coming in and like playing super high level defense and like being able to pressure and like be aggressive and make passes and everything like that. So I I think that they're probably handling this right with Keontae. I think Keontae is fine to come in off the bench and see if he's got it going from three. If he has it going, like, great. He can play a bunch of minutes. If not, then you play him, you know, 15 and 20 or something like that and kind of go from there. Yeah, I think that's where I'm at as well. I think I believe that three-point is – it may never be 40 because, like you say, the attempts he's going to take, but he's going to be a good three-point shooter on high volume. I don't know. Maybe the like the mid range pull up really clicks at some point, but I'm worried about the two point scoring. I think. Yeah, the, the three point and the, the the shooting and the passing ability that I think he's shown this year, I think, is a strong combination that gives him a base to build from. And there are real efficiency concerns, and we'll see where that lands. But I've seen enough to where. I get why the jazz or at least like the jazz, I think are like very excited about him. I'd probably be like a little bit of a step lower, but like I, I I get why they would be enthused about him. I think that's where I'm at as well. Like I see some people that are super Uber excited and I think I'm still probably where I was before the draft where, yeah, I think this guy's going to be a good guard, maybe ends up being a third guard on a good team that can really come in and play the role that you outlined. I mean, it should be noted 
4.5 assists to 2.1 turnovers. So he he has distributed the ball well. And since December 1st, among rookies, third in free throw attempts. So he has been able to mm-hmm. find a way to get to the free throw line, which is impressive as well. So the uh, last thing I want to talk about with rookies, just like, uh, you know, apologies to Andre Jackson, who gives effort and energy and everything. Uh, apologies to Nick Smith, who's like, who's- Played playing reasonably well the last couple of games. Yeah. Uh, Craig Porter Jr. is just so fun. Like yeah. Craig Porter Jr. being like a real dude at this point for the Cavs who can come in and organize the team and at least be like a competent backup point guard. Like, look, I know he's like kind of been semi out of the rotation the last like three or four games, but like. I've enjoyed the Craig Porter experience immensely. And I think that like they have something here in a real way with him. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this with him and kind of these guys off the bench in general, you know, Sam Merrill coming in, notching shots and they, they found guys to help them get through these weeks without Garland and Mobley where everybody's had to scale up. And then these guys have come in Um, Porter jr. Obviously even longer than some of these other guys. So yeah, he pressures the rim really well. He's a good rebounder for a guard, has good pick and roll chemistry with Tristan Thompson. Uh, I was talking to uh, Bob Schmidt from Fear the Fro about him and you know he he was talking about all these things. Um, you know, he just moves the ball, doesn't force things. And yeah, I mean it yeah. seems like he's done a really good job and he looks like an NBA second unit point guard that, you know, maybe that peaks at that because he can't really shoot. Um, but he does a lot of these other things really well. Yeah, had a 15-game stretch from November 17th through the end of the calendar 2023 year where he averaged 9.7 points, 3.2 rebounds, 4.5 assists, 50% from the field, 39% from three, 75% from the line, turned it over 1.1 times per game, was playing 21 minutes a night, defends well. Like Those guys are kind of invaluable uh, to have as like bench guys uh, in a real way. Um the last thing that we have to talk about, Bryce, is something that has happened or at least been announced while uh, we've been recording. Okay. Uh, it happened last night in the game against Washington State. Isaiah Collier is going to miss the next oh. four to six weeks due to a hand injury uh, he suffered last night. Yeah, I uh, I did not see the injury. I watched, I think, till halftime yeah. of this game. This will be interesting. Uh, I will admit um, Collier has been moving down my board and not that I want to move somebody down my board further because of injury, but this is going to take him. I mean, what six weeks puts us beginning of March. I mean, there, I I guess my point is there, there, there's not going to be a whole lot more play to change what I've seen. And then if other dudes start playing better, it's like he's the easy guy to keep dropping based off what we've seen. He's a small guard, like those type of things. Um, so this would be and, interesting and there, for him. For what it's worth, they're eight and eight now. Yeah. Um, they're, they're not going to be like an NCAA tournament. Yeah. Team. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. They're, they're not even going to make like, it. So that's out. He may not play again this season. That's kind of what I'm wondering. Um, if this could be the last we've seen of him, depending on how long this takes, uh, look like if he's, if it ends up being like six weeks until he's like genuinely healthy, like what? I don't, 
I don't know why he'd come back. Like it's yeah. four weeks and he's back like on February 11th or whatever. And February 8th, like whatever it is. Great. Like, let's, let's see it. Like, I hope that that's the case by all yeah. means, but um, you know, if it's more like the six week window, uh, which is the you know longer timeline, I do have some questions. Uh, you've kind of brought up some of the, you know, stock based things. I, I definitely have real concerns on yeah. him. Uh, I, I have not seen enough. Like if he can play this year again, I would strongly recommend playing again because what he has done this year has not left the best taste in evaluators mouths. Like he's averaging 15.4 points, 4.1 assists, 2.6 rebounds, shooting 50.6% from the field. Great number but 31.3% from three uh, averaging 4.1 assists versus 3.6 turnovers. I like, look, he'll go in the first round for sure. Like somewhere, like someone will take him in the first round. I think he would almost certainly go in the top 20, to be honest with you, just given where this draft is. I would be interested beyond that. That's what I said. Like, just some context for everybody. This is a guy that at one point, I mean, nobody's going to be a consensus number one, but there was number one pick conversation, definite yeah. top five conversation. We're not just talking about falling out of that. I don't even think he's in that. Con- he's not really in that conversation for me. I've I've finally tiered yeah. out my top nine guys. He's not in the first two tiers. I think we're talking about him falling out of the lottery now. Yeah. Um, if he hasn't already. And I know he has for some people. Yeah. So Collier, the reason that like I had him at number one, like in my first like big board, like update of the year, um, in his first four games, he averaged 21 points, 3.8 assists shot 52, 42, 81 from the field. The turnovers were like a catastrophe in those games, but like still it is, it has been like, substantially worse since then and there are real things that he's gonna have to fix uh the other issue is like that those issues have popped in games where they played like real teams like in his last 11 games he's averaging 13.6 on 49 29 uh 58 and four and a half assists versus three turnovers like I, I don't know, man. It hasn't been uh, a hot stretch. I'll do a deeper dive into Collier uh, at some point here, but he's uh, he's someone that NBA evaluators are unsurprisingly all over the map on. And I would say, frankly, like the the number one pick conversation like does not exist around him right Agreed. now. Agreed. Um, it's now like eight to twenty range. I would say like That's something what- in that ballpark. That's where I have him right now. I, I still have him at the top end of that, having not messed with the top of my board recently. But um, I just can't get the term bully ball out of my mind with him. Yeah. And is he going to be able to do that at the NBA level? And then another thing, and I, I may learn a lesson here as an evaluator. I hate how he complains to officials during the game. There, I mean – he is constantly throwing his hands up and talking to the, like there's one where it costs him a defensive transition because he goes into the lane and he yeah. throws it, you know, it, he's not Luka Doncic and it drives me crazy when Luka does it. 
And maybe this shouldn't be a part of my evaluation, but I can't unsee it. And so I have that in my notes multiple times, but truly it's, it, it's kind of the bully ball stuff offensively. I'm like, do I believe this is going to translate on an NBA floor? This has been old man. Bryce yells at a cloud segment <laughs> of the podcast. Uh, yeah, look like I, I, it, it it annoys me, but like it, it's it more annoys me in the first instance where you said like he like chose not to get back for a defensive position. Yes, correct. Like that's that's the shit you can't do. Agreed. Like just straight up. Yes. Um. Yeah, that's all I've got. I, looking at my board, I've Collier at like I think I'm at ten right now. He's at nine so, for me. Yeah. Uh. He's he's been a bit underwhelming since those first four games where he looked like the number one overall pick and how you balance those things will be very interesting moving forward. And look, I think that this draft's going to have a lot of movement in the pre-draft process because teams are just going to take the guys that they like that have come in and like have impressed them in some way, shape or form. So, you know, what's 10 to 20 now could be five to, you know, 30 or something like that. Uh, going down the stretch so we'll see what it looks like Bryce tell the people where they can find your work we are done here Uh, tell the people what's going on yeah so at Motor City Hoops on Twitter obviously here on Game Theory with Sam whenever he has me if you want to listen to a Pistons pod the Pistons Pulse uh, we're actually recording with Keith Smith recently that'll be a fun one always learn something about the cap or free agency trade deadline whatever Um, we're dropping that on Tuesdays Wednesdays and that's it. That's all I got. Appreciate you guys. Hit the like button, subscribe, all of that stuff on um, podcast platforms, the YouTube channel. I, I always check. the. I know it's your YouTube channel, but I always check and see that number going up every time I, I look yeah. at the YouTube channel. So excited as, as you're on. Game Theory is on its way to 10,000 uh, subscribers on YouTube. It's exciting. It's good. Uh, I am. Uh, we're, we're in the process of upping the bells and whistles uh, on the YouTube channel a little bit, which is good. So uh, I'm excited to share that with you guys. Uh, Excited to, you know, just continue to have a good time on this channel. And obviously like the podcast listeners are great. Like we love you guys. We appreciate it. Uh, The podcast, you know, listenership is still drastically larger than the uh, YouTube, like watchership viewership is the better word there, Bryce. Why did I just say watchership? Uh, yeah, look, like, you know, we appreciate everybody, but, um, you know, it's it's always so great just to share some time with you guys and talk through some things. And if you come watch the, you know, live stream as we record it, you get to ask questions, which is always yep. really fun. Like, I think we actually, like, took quite a few of them today as we went through it. So uh, we appreciate you guys. You guys make us think a little bit more about things. You guys make us, like, think about things from, like, a slightly different angle than what we maybe came in uh, expecting. So it's great. Like we have 13 pages of notes and I don't know that, you know, we had in our 13 pages of notes, like what's case and Wallace's upside. So that's fun. Uh, keep it locked here. I will have NBA trade deadline, big board Monday. I would guess that Bryce and I, I don't know when do the chiefs play this weekend, Saturday night. So Sunday is free. You'll be free Sunday. Yep. Yep. You'll get to watch me like wallow in sadness as the bills obliterate the, uh, the Steelers. So that'll be fun. But, uh, We'll be back probably on Sunday. I would guess Bryce and I will record again. I have a vague idea of what I want to do. I kind of want to talk about the Rockets at some point because I find them fascinating. Uh, I, 
I don't know if we'll do like a theme episode or if we'll just like kind of shoot around the league yet though. Um, that's it though. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye. Thank you.